1: Years ago, H.G. Wells visualized roads such as these in his science fiction fantasies, and today they're a reality.
0: You're listening to The Afternoon Commute. John Adams and Chris Kendall.
1: It is Tuesday, July 7th, 7 7 and it's The Afternoon Commute with Chris Kendall, and along for the ride, as always, I am John Adams. We do have a guest today, and we thank everybody for listening to The Afternoon Commute and for leaving comments, uh, critique, or praise uh, at hoaxbusterscall.com. Today we have, all the way from New York City, uh, Mr. Jose Herrera. And uh, we are grateful to have him on. Um, uh, I've looked at and listen, looked at and listened to uh, many things that he has written, and uh, some of his uh, interviews. And I like what I've heard over a couple of years. And uh, thanks for being with us today, Jose.
2: No, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you. How how did you uh, how did you hear about
1: us? If you don't mind me asking.
2: Uh, I I was looking for interesting podcasts, and uh, I I like to to listen at podcasts. And at some point, I I found yours, and the name intrigued me, and and I decided to download uh, one episode. And that was like a couple of months ago, and now I'm totally hooked. So <laughs> good, good job.
3: <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, cool. Thank
1: <laughs> you. We are. Uh we are honored that you enjoy uh, what we uh, do here um well why don't we get right into it um symbolism in our modern day is a form of magic and people don't realize how powerful symbols are just in society i mean i'm I'm currently driving down the freeway right here, and in order for me to be able to know uh, which freeway I'm going to get on, there is a sign that doesn't even say the free, you know it doesn't even say the name of the freeway. It just has the symbol for uh, the freeway and the number of which interstate it is. Right, and uh, then there's a a yellow sign uh, with a diamond, and it's telling you that lanes merge. Right, And we take for granted that we actually think and speak uh, and, and we're actually trained and conditioned to do this in the modern world to think and speak in symbols. And uh, you do a great analysis of this and I was wondering if you could uh, tell our audience a little bit about symbolism and how the magic of the mind works.
2: Uh, okay, let's uh, start there So let's uh, start by Defining the terms, right? So uh, the first thing that I Would like to discuss is what do we Mean here by magic? So uh, There is one one conception, and it's the, the Popular conception of what magic is And people think that magic is The hocus pocus Harry Potter Right, with a magic wand uh, Riding a, broom, a broomstick Or He's a trickster with a tuxedo uh, pulling a rabbit out of of his hat, right? Those are the two main conceptions of what magic is in in the minds of people. Mm, If you see what magic is, and if you go to the roots and the etymology of the word magic, you you see that it comes from magi, uh, which was basically a priestly class in Persia. So if you remember the three wise men, they were the magi. Uh, who visited uh, uh, Jesus Christ when he was born uh, and and brought the presents for him, there were priests from Persia, Persian priests. Mm, So basically, uh, a magi, right, a a magus, is a a priest. And what priests do, right, is they uh, modulate Society—they are the modulators of the feelings of, of people, and what they do is they, they engage into this art that is magic. And what magic is is the control of supernatural forces. Now again, uh, we have to define the terms. Uh, so, in the, what is what is uh, supernatural? And supernatural comes from uh, two roots: uh, Latin. One is super, and the other one is natura. Natura is nature, and super is above or uh, over or beyond nature. So that's what it means. Is uh, what they control is the art of manipulating laws that are beyond the laws of nature. So the law of nature, a law of nature, could be gravity. Uh, now, which are the laws that uh, are beyond the law, the laws of three dimensions of nature, and those are the laws of man and the loss of the psyche of man. So at the end what they are is or what magi what the magi do is they modulate the consciousness and the psyche of people. So is it's a combination of, of in modern terms we, we would call them PR uh, or politicians or priests. Uh, and all these things in the past is what the priests used to be. So you see a priest of, of Egypt and, and they were the, the magi uh, And at the same time they were the scribes So they used to write down and, and codify the laws for, for the people And so on So magic at the end is, is that Is the, the modulation of the emotions of the population uh, So now language is the tool of the trade, uh, and and the tool that magic use to modulate the emotions of people is through spells, uh, and spells are the manipulation of symbols. Uh, it can be language, or it can be as, as you will say, John, uh, the symbols in the highway, right? And what we do, and and you 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 very well put it uh, as well, uh, Culture is the training of people of getting into this reaction, this God-feeling reaction of every time I see a symbol, I trigger uh, an emotion inside me, or every time I have an emotion, I label it with a symbol. And that's in essence, it's, it's a natural part of human beings that is learning to speak. To learn to speak is to learn to codify in sounds Our internal emotions and our feelings And to understand Every time we hear uh, The modulation of sound of, of someone else To decode that and, and convert that Into a stream of consciousness Inside us That depicts and tells the stories Inside us And if you think about it It's, it's a very curious uh, Phenomenon and, and that's, at the end, the, what, what, what a culture is A culture is a set of training Or, or a, a, a set of, of messages or symbols That uh, represent uh, things in reality And all the members of that culture They can identify those symbols And that's what makes you a, a, a member of a culture yeah, let me let me interject real quick. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: I heard you give a great example uh, on a, uh, I'd say a level one area of reality uh, in one of your talks, and you were talking about how uh, you were talking about the the siren of Starbucks, right? Do you do you recall this? How when you see the Starbucks sign, it makes you want to go get yes. coffee, right? Okay, yes. so now it's interesting to know. I'm I'm going to steer this. Uh, conversation, I'm going to manipulate the conversation, I'm, I'm kidding <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I'm going to uh, I wanted to talk about uh, what I would call uh, I've heard this said before I don't remember if it was from you or if it was from someone else, but I'd say the dumbing down of culture through symbols and one example is, is I've noticed that Starbucks is going to great lengths to Modify all of their signs everywhere to get rid of the word Starbucks, and they are going to a purely semiotic form of, uh, you know, they're basically telling people, hey, this is a Starbucks, and that is through just the symbol of the mermaid or the siren. And it's interesting because um, with me here, I've got a book. I don't know if you're familiar with this book. It's called A Dictionary of Symbols. It's by J. E. Surlot. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the symbols depicted on the cover of this book is the original Starbucks symbol, which mm-hmm. was the mermaid with the with the split with the two tails, the two split tails, and uh, which also is the siren, right? The sirens call, the sirens wail, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so I guess uh, that would be symbolic for uh, the sirens calling you in to uh, get some coffee. I just thought that was interesting because you you brought up that particular uh, example in one of in one of your talks. But what do you think about the dumbing down of culture through symbols and removing words and removing uh, phrases from things to where people no longer have to use language; they can just see a symbol and basically grunt their way up to the counter.
2: Mm, well, I think there there are various things there. Right? One is. Uh, Starbucks is a multinational company And uh, if, you, if you confine yourself to the mermaid And remove the words Then uh, any, any person in the world Even if they know how to read or and write or, or not They can see this symbol and immediately recognize it, right? Which, at the end, is what happens with, for example, the, the sigil of Coca-Cola is, is, is universally recognized even if you learn how to read and write or not right uh, now this idea of, of dumbing down I think is something that is in inher- is, is intrinsic of language or symbols because uh, what you do when you symbolize something and, and when you qualify uh, an experience and, and, and you you create a stream of symbols or one symbol or uh, to represent that that, that stream of uh, that experience, uh, by definition, what you're doing is you're creating a representation that is a numbed down version of the original experience, where what you're doing is you're taking basically the basic traces of what you're trying to represent, and you are just codifying that in or modulating it in sound or symbols. So a very important or uh, an intrinsic characteristic of, of Codes Is the reduction Of the Richness of reality So And think about anything, right? Like any word that you take, anything that you take uh, What it does is It, it strips down uh, What you're trying to, to refer To the, the reference, right? Uh, with, with The word that you're using And, and what you're doing is you're stripping down what you're trying to codify to the very minimum. And that has two things. One is it has advantages and it's, it's a very powerful tool because then you can grab things in a very succinct way but at the, at the same time what you're doing is you are letting aside a lot of things. So I think it's, it's an intrinsic way of doing things but I agree with you. The, the numbing down of, of the population, like you read George Orwell, right? And one of the of the techniques in George Orwell was to reduce the vocabulary of people. So the less things that you can think of, then the less things that you the the, 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 the the more reduce the spectrum of possibilities that you're gonna have. And and you but the the trick is that you are gonna feel that you're still free because you cannot imagine the things that are outside the or beyond the possibilities of of the language that you have. So. Uh, I, I see all that, all those things come to mind when with, with the question that you you're asking.
3: Yeah, the the associations are made. And I think that's uh, an important point to make too. With the um, like any kind of symbol, like we're talking about this, the, you know, the Starbucks logo, and um, they can't. Come directly out with that as their uh, identifier, right? O- right out of the gate, you know, they have to build the association between that and coffee and what it, you know, what it represents. And then once that association is established, once the mind connects that with whatever it is that um, they're, you know, selling, then. Uh, then they can discard the uh, extraneous, you know, l- letters that uh, spell out the name and then make it more of a, a, a sort of shorthand,
2: right? Okay,
1: correct. Yeah, now, yeah and, and, and that's good because oh, that's, that's a great point, Chris, because, you see, you have to embed it into the culture so much that, Everybody within the culture, like, like Jose was saying, everybody in the culture is going to be able to identify that, and it's not something as simple as a uh, symbol. Although that was a Freudian slip, I guess it's not something as simple as um, as you know, like uh, a drawing of of uh, of like a, a fire in it, you know, like a campfire or something. It's something corporate. It, it, it's it's proof of a corporate culture. Is when when you have corporate symbols everywhere. I'll, I'll give you another example, is of, of a company that's taken the letters off of their name, Shell, the gas station, and it's interesting how these uh, these corporate logos all just magically. And I say I say that uh, just, just facetiously and and with intent. They magically just happen to be these. Um, these are, uh, what would you call, archetypal symbols as well. you got the Venetian, uh, Venusian shell for uh, a yeah. shell gas station. You've got the mermaid. Um, I noticed recently that uh, another uh, semiotic symbol is, uh, removing the letters, is McDonald's. You've got the golden arches. An arch is an archetypal symbol. And um, so, yeah, it, it's a cultural thing being moved through corporate logos, not natural symbolism like hieroglyphs uh, trying to relate something to, you know, each other on a, on a grassroots level, you know what I'm saying?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree, and uh, I think there, there, there are two sides there, one is that you have symbols that have been used and reused again and again in history. And uh, cultures have different symbols that they use again and again. For example, China, the dragon, right? Uh, in the West, you have uh, from from Greek mythology all these uh, archetypes and all these all these different symbols. So, I guess when a corporation. Uh, takes one of these symbols as their, their logo or their sigil. Uh, in a way, what they're doing is you're getting this sense of familiarity, right? It's, it's not something foreign that comes from the moon or <laughs> out of space, but it's something that you are already familiar with. So they, they don't look foreign. They look as, as the day to day, right? Which is what you want to do. What you want to do with these symbols is you want them to, to, to be part of the day to day. So you consume their products in this case, which is the use of, of the products, right? Um, the, the other thing, and I, I think this is something that I have been lately thinking a lot about, uh, is what is the mechanism that, that these symbols... Uh, how, how is that they work? And how is that the mind works? And it's not only the mind, the mind and the body. How do they work? Because at the end... Uh, and and here is the first example that I want to give to to illustrate the, the point that I'm going to make further. Is think about a movie, like any movie that you have, and and if you watch a movie without the sound, and with the sound, you're going to see that there is an incredible difference when when you when you remove the music of a movie, and when you when you when you put the music in the movie, you can see how all the emotional modulation that you have. A big chunk of it, it doesn't come from the images, but it comes from the sounds that you have. So so in a scary movie, you get the, the screeching sounds, right? And, and you know that something is going to happen and you're alert and and, and so on. Mm. And then, uh, and, and you're going to laugh about this, but I, I was uh, helping my daughter. She's in sixth grade or fifth grade, doing a presentation about the prairie dogs. Uh, and, and they have a, a, a very sophisticated language where prairie dogs they stand up in their two uh, feet, and then they look around and they start doing sounds, and they communicate to the other prairie uh, dogs uh, that I don't know the fox is coming. Or so so in a way, think about this: uh, what these animals are doing is that they are lending their eyes and their senses to the other animals or the other prairie dogs around them. So if you're an animal, or a prairie dog, and you get accustomed to triggering your emotions or your feelings out of sounds, so what you're doing, you're in a very uh, direct way, what you're doing is you're associating the fox with the sound of another prairie dog. And through time, what happens is that you end up creating this language where one prairie dog is modulating the emotions of another prairie dog. Now if you see how emotions are, are modulated, and this is the reason why I like the, the example of Starbucks, right? Is because the product of Starbucks, what they're trying to sell you, is this very addictive stimulant. So at the end the trick of what they do, right, is and, and how does the addiction to coffee happens? Is that what you're doing? Is you're taking the chemical, uh, the caffeine in, in the coffee, right? You're binding that to your neuro system, your neural system, and then you're creating this, this uh, addiction to 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 the the caffeine. Now, when you see the symbol of Starbucks, what you end up doing is you end up activate. Jose, Jose, you want to yeah. repeat what you said because you broke up a little bit. Oh, uh, from where? Uh,
1: right where, when what we was? started talking about stop Starbucks.
2: Ah, okay, okay. So, so the reason why why uh, I I like the 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 example of the Starbucks is because the, what they produce is this very addictive substance that is uh, what they sell is is coffee which is, is, a, is an incredibly uh, addictive uh, stimulant. And so, in a way, what, what you're doing with coffee, right, is, is you're, you're modulating, you're modifying your endocrine system, the system of your glands and your neural system with coffee, and you're creating, you're, you're bringing these, these external substance into your system, and, and the addiction is created. And, and at the end, what you're doing is that when you see the symbol, of the of the coffee, what you're doing is you start salivating and, and you start activating your glands. So in a way, in a very strange way, language is one to one related to your endocrine system. And and that's the driver of your emotions. And is it's something that if you think about it is very primitive. It comes from like music, right? Like it's, it's one of the most basic things. And then the other example that I gave you of the prairie dogs. So what you're doing is you're, you're modulating sounds, and with that you're activating the endocrine system and you're creating stress or fear or or the, the sense of salivation. Uh, so you want to have coffee and so on. So, so it's a very primal mechanism that we have in our biology, and I think that's why it's so effective. And that's the foundation of... of that's why cultures are the the foundation of cultures is language and is this right is the symbols
3: yeah the pavlov experiment always comes to mind when talking something like this where you know they did the uh the, the Pav, that's a, that's a pretty famous one the pavlov's dog where they have the dog in the as the subject and then the ring and then uh pavlov would ring a bell um right before they brought out the dog's food and then um it would do that on a regular basis until the point where all that they all they had to do is ring the bell and then the dog starts salivating cuz cuz there's this association the dog has made between the sound of the bell and the food and it it could have went a different way maybe where they they could test out you know negative stim- stimulus where you know the, the okay you ring a bell and then you set off a firecracker in the dog's cage and then you know every time then there's an association that's built up and then you could ring the bell and the dog would uh wince or you know brace for shock or you know get ready for the you know the the firecracker to go off and there's a um no my uh my uh my brother, he had a dog and he had a problem with the dog barking, so he got one of those shock collars. And, um, he said he never used it on the dog, but like one time. And, um, so there would be like a little warning beep that would go off and then like a little electric shock, you know, and then that's how those things work. And then, uh, my, uh, sister-in-law had a watch that beeped and then sometimes that would accidentally beep and the dog would get under the table, like, you know, <laughs> like they get ready for the shock to come yeah so it's already the dog it very quickly built the association between the shock and the and that tone you know and it didn't take it didn't take very long it just took you know something that um was uh uh something that imprinted on the dog- like something that would uh i, I think there's there's um you know certain stimulus that will be readily memorized and in in in, in ingrained into the psyche, and um, I think that's a good point. when you're making with a, like the coffee is—it's it's pretty potent stimulant with the caffeine, and then you have that, and then you're, and then you have an association with that symbol, and then you know to the point where people see it, or they could just see the mermaid, or see them, see the mermaid configured in that way, and start to uh, you know salivate or think about coffee or get a get a a, a sort of virtual kind of maybe c- caffeine rush or something, just, just by that association.
2: Correct, correct. Um, now, if, if you think about the word culture, right, uh, the root of the word culture, right, is the same thing as in agriculture or cult or occult. So it comes, all of them come from the same root, and at the end, what what uh, the word in agriculture is right is agri, which means uh, the fields, right, and mm-hmm. and culture, which is basically to prepare the soil. Uh, and, and and think about the word kindergarten immediately, right? All right. Uh, what what it is is what you're doing is you're preparing the soil in this case. And in alchemy, you can see these like the 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 soil, the the black earth black soil is alchemy is the mind so what you're doing is you're you're, you're seeding the, the 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 soil with ideas and with this what you're doing is you're taking these concepts and you are you're, you're planting them in the heads of people through repetition and through all these uh, associations and through all these different techniques and what you're doing is you're you're planting culture in the heads of of, of the population, what you're doing is you're taming the the members of the population. We're domesticated animals that belong to to the culture, and that's what you're doing. It's a process of taming or domestication of human beings. Exactly.
3: Right right, because they uh, I, I don't think so much about the curriculum and the instruction so much um, because you know that's kind of usually the the focus on uh, how education is um, conducted, but then I, you know I, I, I think it's important to look to it now you you take a child and you send them to um, to their you know kindergarten and then they get introduced to uh, the teacher. And the teacher is the authority figure. So they get introduced to this concept of uh, authority figures um, very early on. I think that's something that's so ingrained into people in our, you know, culture. And that's how the process takes place is once they associate that this stranger, but the stranger has a certain particular uh, identification within the system. And then they they were taught by, um, it's mainly by inference because it's not, there's no, there's not a whole lot of, you know, overt reinforcement of that. It's almost, it, it, a lot of this is just implied that, okay, this person knows more than your parents or else your parents would be teaching you things. You need to listen to this person. And this person just happens to be a total stranger, but it has a particular designation. So it's, there's another uh, example of how associations are built.
2: Uh, yeah, totally, and and once you start thinking about this, and you start thinking about agriculture, what we were talking before, uh, that's a phenomenon that, that happened probably 10,000 years ago, or 12,000 years ago, and before that, people were nomads, and they were hunter-gatherers, and they just run around behind the, the big animals, and, and they used to hunt them, and and find berries and nuts uh, along the line, and eggs, and they used to live just this nomadic life. If, if you think about it, the first thing that comes with, with agriculture, right, and when people become sedentary, and, and then culture uh, sprung out of, of, of this sedentarism, right, and these uh, central places where people are static, stationary, and, and they don't move anymore because they are, instead of having to hunt the food, they, they produce their own food, Mm. The first thing that comes with agriculture and by necessity is that agriculture is very labor intensive. So the first thing that comes when, when agriculture first came and with civilization, which is totally related and to culture to, to agriculture, is slavery. Because you need bodies to work on the fields. So how do you manage to have people and how do you convince people that it is better for them to stay with you and and work every day from 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 sunset to sundown, uh, very hard on the fields than just being somewhere else? So there are two ways to do that. One is you can punish them, right? And 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 you can you can every time you have a slave that tries to escape, you you punch them and kill them and kill their family and. Every time they misbehave they use something But that's very costly, right? Using violence and having to to use force Every time you want to accomplish something Is very, very costly The other way is to convince people That their best option Is to work for you And how do you accomplish that? Well, those are all the techniques of the priests So I think... Once agriculture was in place and the need for slavery, is, what you need is the need for management of human capital or human resources, which are the managers, right? And if you see a word manager, it comes from, from the French manache which means, or manage, I don't know how the pronunciation is, but it means horse trainer. And, and, and that's, that's the, the root of the, of the word manager or management, Mm. So, so There is the, the, the first thing that you need If you you want to have a plantation And you're going to be producing a, a cereal or whatever it is that you're producing In your plantation Is you need a group of people Who can modulate The emotions of the people that work for you Your slaves So they Work for you And that's the priestly caste We're talking about Those are the magi
1: yeah and we like you were saying we have modern day magi all around us um the figures on TV here's an interesting thing too um specifically dealing with symbolism and imagery is that well take television which you know Chris and I Reference quite a bit. And the figures that you see on the TV, they're not, I mean, they're real people. Obviously, I believe someone like the president exists, right? Um, I don't take it to that particular level of fakery to say that Obama is not a real person. But um, as far as. You mean he's not the- a reptile?
0: <laughs> he's
1: not a reptilian? <laughs> he. He is a, uh, he is, all right, look, let's, let's get down to it. He's a shapeshifter reptoid from Planet Pop-Tart, in with people or else. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but he, uh, Obama is not in my living room when he's on the television, you see. Mm-hmm. And we, we're kind of getting, touching on a subject like this last night, is that because of the way that we're designed uh, the way that our mind works, and because we're not aware of these things, uh, even when we're watching television, uh, we get sucked into it. You see, the the um, the original man that still exists inside of me or the original woman that still exists inside of the conditioned, uh, domesticated person, their original mind thinks that the authority figure is standing in their living room telling them what to do. You see? hmm And so the reality, the, the crazy thing about television is, and like I said, it took a while for me to step outside and look at this, is that's why it's so powerful is because you are actually bringing, by, by viewing it, you're bringing it into reality because when you were designed uh, by uh, uh, my... Uh, research is that we were designed by a creator. And when we were created, we were design, we weren't designed to have uh, three foot tall people on a screen telling, you know telling you to uh, take an umbrella when it's you know, gonna rain and uh, telling you uh, you know what the best way to cook something is uh, having a bunch of experts all over t- TV telling you what to do your mind is manifesting that into reality, and everybody is partaking in a ritual. And it's also, it, it, I can even extrapolate out onto that, that by everybody, you know, if, if you think about it, it's probably not so much today because uh, we've gotten it, we've whittled it down to the individual level where uh, the individual has their own uh, cell phone, their own um you know, their TiVo to where they could watch the TV programs at whatever time. But if you think about back in the uh, 80s or 70s or whatever, I mean, there were literally people engaged in ritualistic magic every night when you say that 18 million people watched a particular television show. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And it, Absolutely. and they were ma- they were manifesting that into reality by participating in it. And, and not only symbolically, but actually everybody's mind got into the fake reality of it all. You
0: see?
2: Right. You're having this supernatural event, this psychic event, because what you're doing is you're talking to the psyche of people, of the 18 million viewers, and, and what you're doing is you're communicating with their, with their psyche, but the beauty of it is that through that communication, what you can do is you can modulate their emotions, and hence the word motion, and then what you can do is you can trigger this cascade of events of modulating their emotions and then their endocrine system, and then you make them act. So by these ideas that you're passing to them by this ritual, what you're doing is you're modifying their behavior. So the way you manifest something from a magical act is that you start at the psychic level, and then what you're doing is when you do the spell and you pass through the ritual, the spell to the in this case the eighteen million viewers that you're talking about, what you're doing is you're manifesting the reality of the spell in the behavior of the eighteen million people. Which is fascinating, is is see and we can't help it. Because we yeah. are wired we are wired to that, right? Like, if, if you're in the middle of the jungle and you see a lion, the image of a lion, immediately or all, all your system is going to trigger the, the flight response to that, and, and you can help it. So now we haven't changed uh, uh, much since the time that we used to run naked uh, <laughs> in the jungle, right? And we're chased by lions uh, but now we have these screens in our in our houses where all of a sudden you can see the, the lion, the image of the lion, and you're wired to respond in a precise way to that image of the big claws and, 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 and the animal, right? Which is fear in this case or whatever it is. Um, so So you can help it. It's already there. And, and what these masters of propaganda and these magi do is that they know exactly which buttons to po, to push in you, in your psyche to accomplish certain reaction from you or to gain certain reaction reaction from you and and they do that through music through the images that you see through the associations of the images that you see so you're watching a movie and then depending on the colors that they have on the screen then the different colors evoke different emotions on you and that accompanied with the music and and it doesn't have to be in the front it can be something in the background right so I don't know. You, you're you looking at an image, and there is something happening. And then behind you have this woman carrying a baby, and and something bad is going to happen. And 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 you're creating all these associations. You're you're taking all this information, and in your subconscious you are producing all these emotions that modulate how you're going to react. And and not only that, but the other thing is that when you're watching TV, eh, you you are in this RAM state where you're highly suggestible as well.
1: Yeah, let let me just uh, say something real quick uh, off of what Mm -hmm. you said. I'm going to read from this book, um, A Dictionary of Symbols by J.E. Serlotte. From from, uh, the definition of dance, okay? Mm -hmm. The The corporeal image of a given process or of becoming or the passage of time in hindu doctrine the dance of shiva in his role as nataraja the king of the cosmic dance symbolizing the union of space and time within evolution everybody's got to remember that that darwinian evolution actually comes out of hinduism uh... clearly has this meaning there is a universal belief that insofar as a rhythmic art form it is a symbol for the act of creation this is why the dance is one of the most ancient forms of magic Every dance is a pantomime of metamorphosis and calls for a mask to facilitate and conceal the transformation which seeks to change the dancer into a god, a demon, or some other chosen form of existence. The dance is the incarnation of eternal energy. This is the meaning of the circle of flames surrounding the dancing Shiva. Dances performed by people with linked arms symbolize cosmic matrimony, or the union of the heaven and earth, the chain symbol, and in this way they facilitate the union of man and wife, and I would even add, uh, my own little ad there would be, they symbolize the, uh, uh what do you call it? the the tabula sm- smaragdina, uh, as above, so below.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And so, uh, yeah, d- so even even watching uh, Madonna do it, which Madonna has actually come out and said that uh, she actually has kabbalistic symbolism in in her dances, uh-huh. and has for, has for a long time. So people who who even think that they're watching some music video and think that it is some sort of form of you know harmless entertainment don't even realize that behind the scenes there is someone who is actually. Uh, cog- cognating the idea that this dance is performing a, an art of ritualistic
2: magic. Correct, totally. And and what you're doing when when you said that is it represents the dancing represents the the the, the marriage between the heaven and earth, is is perfect. It's a perfect one to one thing, right? Because when you when you're in trance dancing, what you're doing is you are trapped in your in your dream, right? In in this place where where your psyche is entangled and it becomes one with the body, right? And then you start moving, your psyche starts directing directly through the sound of the music, the body, and then the the heaven represents the mind, and earth represents the body. So what you have is exactly that, is the manifestation of an alchemical act, of a magical act, where what you're doing is you are making a, one the Heaven, the mind, and the body and and you're creating basically the the perfect wedding, the alchemical wedding, which is that yeah, when you your... no, ahead yeah uh, no no I, I was just to mention that when when you mentioned Madonna, right just the name Madonna in Italian, it means the mother but it's the holy mother so so you see she <laughs> they have the, the like a virgin from Madonna and and her name is the virgin basically it's the, the name of madonna and child is all these paintings of the virgin holding the jesus christ so so yeah she's <laughs> all these actors and all these, these artists uh, use a lot of this esoteric language right and and it yeah touches the that's subconscious right. of people
1: that's why she hit her other hit, her other big hit was like
2: a prayer that, Yeah, as well <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah there's the word spell casting or casting a spell and then and then the media uses the word broadcasting they broadcast their <laughs> imagery and yeah it's uh yeah so they broadcast the spell i think that's uh that's an interesting choice of words for what they do but i was wondering Jose can you go into um talismans and what they are and what they mean how how yeah. that works as far as magic Perfect. goes
2: Perfect so you want me to start, what I'm going to start, right, is by the punchline. And is that today all of us carry talismans all day long and the, the most common talisman that we have and exist is money. And let me explain why why that is and how the, that came into, into being, right? Mm, so a talisman is an object that is not only an object, but it has a special power, and that power comes from an authority who basically performed a ritual and gave a particular value, an extra value, to this object that it didn't have before. So, I don't know, imagine you go to a shaman and you bring a chicken bone to him, and then he goes and does some hocus-pocus or a dance on top of the chicken bone, and just because he's the authority and he's the shaman... Then he transfers uh, this special power, the healing power, into the chicken bone, and then the guy who who came to visit the shaman uh, walks away with his the same chicken bone after the the guy the naked guy did the dance on top of it, but now he has this this bone that he has is valuable because it has this power that he didn't have before. But think about it: this power that this bone has after the the magic dance of the shaman is only in the mind of the person who holds the the bone. So, right. think about what money is factually. If you take our money today or at any time, but let's say today, factually, what we have is a rectangular, rectangular piece of paper with a bunch of faces of dead people and wiggles and a signature and that's it. Factually, uh, if you take a $100 bill, uh, that's what it is. It's nothing more, nothing less than that. And the difference between that piece of paper and a piece of toilet paper is only the few drops of ink that it has and the wiggles that it has on top, plus the magical ritual. And is that an authority gave a special value to this object and now... Only that authority can, can, can give that value to that. And trying to counterfeit or, or do it on your own is, is even a sin, right? So, if you think about it, that's what, what, and that's real magic. What these guys are doing, what the bankers are doing, the high priests are doing, is they're taking these pieces of paper, they're consecrating them, and then they're giving value to them, say, hundred dollars. Mm, now, this has been done for thousands of years, and even the words that we have to describe this, like money, money, comes from. A, if you remember another word that has the same root, is a monetary, comes from moneta, and moneta was one of the names given to the goddess Juno, and in her temple in 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 Greece, uh, they used to coin the talismans. That the priests and the priestesses used to coin the talismans that you used to give to, to people. So the first coins, the first monetas, as in monetary, uh, were the talismans for the goddess Juno. Mm. So today our monetary system is only a system of exchange of human energy through through paper, and if you think about it, that's that's. Very magical in, in a way, right? Like what you're doing is you're charging these pieces of paper with psychical energy and, and you just by the fact of showing this piece of paper to someone, someone is, you, you can modulate the behavior of that person just by, by flashing one of these pieces of paper. So, so you get into a cab, right? And the person in the cab is gonna drive you around and he's gonna spend his time and, and the gasoline and And everything in his car and the, the, the his time and then, and the time of his car and so on, just because you, what you 're doing is you're you're triggering a deeply conditioned a uh, a system in this person, just by showing a piece of paper, is incredibly powerful. The power, of the talismanic magic, is incredibly powerful. And and but think about this: it's, it's, there is nothing supernatural about it, except the fact that people don't understand what supernatural means. And it's incredibly powerful.
3: Jose, we're getting some kind of static on the line. I don't I don't know if uh, you guys can both check your connections. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, is that better, is that better? Uh, no, it seemed like it's it, uh, still doing it, still doing it. Let me, let, me, let, me, me, let me mute mine and, mine, and me, let me, tell me, tell me. Okay, uh, can yeah, you say yeah. something, John? So, so, so. Something, John. Wrong. Something, John? That's something, man. Yeah. Something... I hear you clear. I, I don't know if it's on Jose's end or not. I, I think yeah. it is.
1: Yeah, it's on, it's on his end.
3: Yeah, let me, and me let me, me
1: mute mute I'm going now.
3: Okay. And I you now, did you hear a difference? Yeah, now it's echoing and it's really staticky. y Let's, so, let's uh, reconnect.
1: No, Do you wanna want to
3: re- re- reconnect? Re- oh, okay. Oh, okay, okay. I'm going to, yeah, okay, I'll hang up right now. Hello. Okay. Uh, yeah. Still, still really bad static. It's on my side. Yeah. It seems like it. Seems like it's. It's uh, just a lot of. It like your audio sounded really good, and then it just all of a sudden kind of got real crackly and staticky.
2: Ah, that's hey, think You know what time is it? It's six thirty. You know what it is. People start arriving at home. Uh Uh-huh. And they start using the internet. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So the bandwidth goes down. Let me do something. What I'm going to do is because uh, for some reason I have my camera app. Like, did that get better? Yes. I shut down the camera. So it's the bandwidth on my side, basically.
3: Okay, now it sounds. Now we're back to. Yeah, now we're back to. It was bandwidth
2: then. Bandwidth. Yeah, the um, the thing
3: about yeah, money is so bizarre, man. It's just this piece of paper, and you're talking about like counterfeiting. It's it's yeah, it's a sin. Like you wouldn't want to counterfeit money. That's horrible. And then, but nobody did, did asked a question like, well, I'll say, let's say that uh, you know, I have a graphic design background myself, and let's say that like uh, I wanted to make some money with my graphic design skills like literally make some money and um i it it it, i could probably pull it off i think and i can make something um authentic looking enough to probably fool most people and um but you know i i it it but it's it's like this violation. It's like this this thing you just don't want to do because it's it's this uh, is this taboo thing. You don't you, you're not allowed. You're not permitted. You you can't do that. And then, but then, does anybody ask the question? as like why why wh- who are the people that are creating this thing <laughs> called money and what and what gives them their particular authority to do such a thing that nobody else is allowed to do? You know what I mean?
2: Oh, you know, one thing that fascinates me is that money is the blood of our society. Every, every single transaction of goods and services that happens in our society is modulated by these pieces of paper. So it's very central to the lives of every member of the society. However, very few people know what money is. And you're never taught what money is. You you learn how to use it, right? And you you have this gut feeling of how much things cost. And you go to a store and they they tell you, oh, this Coca-Cola is $5 or it's $10. Immediately you have this this quantifying relationship where you know if they're asking for too much or too little. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the quantifiable side of, of the quantitative side of money, right? But what you don't have is a qualitative side of money. You ask people what what is money and people look at you as if you're crazy. But if you push and say, OK, tell me what it is, if you think is that obvious, people have no idea what it is and where it comes from. Is even Even they don't even know.
3: So you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings uh, books, and then they made movies out of that, and then I think everybody's heard of that, the Lord of the Rings uh, series. Um, uh, who who wrote that? It was... Uh, Tolkien. Uh, yeah. Tolkien, yeah. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. They yeah. minted a coin of the government of New Zealand with the British Royal Mint, and it... and the Lord of the Rings is about the ring of power. Like it, whoever possesses this ring has, you know, absolute power, um, over the, over the world. And so I, and so I, um, I've, I've watched a couple of those movies and I'm, I'm kind of familiar with this, the story and stuff there, but you know, they go chasing after this ring of power, you know, some, some, somebody has it and then somebody else is trying to get it from them. And then the whole, whole plot line kind of centers around that. And then, uh, but anyway, in, in the the it, the The Ring of Power, it, it, it says something to the effect of um, there, there's some kind of uh, inscription on it, and and a part of it uh, reads something to the effect of, uh, you know, one ring to rule them all, and all then the darkness bind them, and, and, and something to that effect. I, I, I forget exactly what it, what it says, uh, and I don't have it in front of me, but they minted they the coin with the, the Ring of Power on the back and Queen Elizabeth on the other side. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I I thought that was when I saw that I said, "Wow, that blew me away." I was like, "Wait, so there, so it that I mean, that is an excellent way to kind of shove it in the face of the slaves to say, "Okay, yeah, here's the ring of power. It's it it's it's money. It's this thing called money. It's this uh um talisman that rules everybody
2: on the planet at this point, right?" Oh, money! Money is is the, the new god. Yeah, for, of course. Or, or the symbol of God. God is the state. Yeah, you, you know what else too? It's
1: funny. I'm I'm standing here, and I'm looking at this car. It's got a bumper sticker, right? And this is a perfect. Uh, this is perfect for uh, how people get caught up with economics and politics. And how they're giving given a dialectic of the two. This bumper sticker says, "Too poor to vote Republican." Okay, <laughs> which which uh, it's actually kind of funny bumper sticker, but um, but but see, you you've, not only do you have the dialectic of of uh, the Republican and the Democrat and you know the political system, but you've got the the dialectic of the rich and the poor. Uh, involved with that as well and it's interesting if you were to you know say know somebody who was uh, who i guess you would call wealthy you know someone someone who drives a bmw you know lives in a four-bedroom house people think that's rich today right Mm-hmm. And and all of the uh, problems of the world are put onto people like that. Like they don't know who the Rockefellers are. They don't know who the Rothschilds are. They don't know anything about those. You know the Whitneys or any of those families. They know. They don't know anything about that. All they know is that the guy has BMW. He has a nice suit on. Therefore, he's bad, right? And it's, and and it's because of money, right? That people's emotions get attached to the talisman like you're talking about. And I would like you to speak to the emotional attachment to a talisman as well, right, where you can, because, because you, you see, people get, people, not, not only do they not know how money works, but they're not aware of how, because of an economic situation and all of the stress involved with living a day-to-day life, whether you're a person who makes six figures a year or whether you're a person who makes $10 an hour. There is a, there is a unnatural stress that has been put on you, and we all suffer from it no matter if we're, you know, uh, someone just, like I said, making six figures or making $10 an hour. it That stress comes from the emotional attachment to that talisman.
2: Absolutely. There, there is another name for that. It's bonds. So what you're creating is these bonds, you're into bondage to the talisman, right? So you're creating these chains. And in the case of the economy, think about the boom and boost cycles in the economy. So what you're doing is you're modulating fear and greed of people. So imagine that you had a society, right, where where every day the the economic supply and, and the monetary system is very stable, then what would happen, right, is that people get complacent and then they don't move, right? Like, but if you have if you have growth and, and, and shrinking of, of the economy, what you have is you start modulating all of the sudden through all these two things, right? With the with the excess of supply of money or, or the, the 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 scarcity of money, what you're doing is you are modulating fear and greed in people. So it's, it's a perfect way to modulate the behavior of people because if one day you realize, oops, you know what, things are more expensive today and I'm, not, I'm earning the same as yesterday and I have two kids, then you start worrying about it. And then immediately you start modifying your behavior. But the day there is affluence and then you see that there is more paper paper circulating in the system, that day you are, oh, look, it's, I'm wealthy I'm, I'm feeling very rich now. I can go and gamble at Vegas and... We can have vacation, honey, and, and, and all these things, right? So if, if you think just through the modulation of how much is the money supply, right, the monetary supply in, in the economy, immediately what you start doing is you start modifying the behavior of, of, of savings of people or of expending of people. So by just by, 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 by manipulating the money supply... Which is the blood of the of the economic system of any society? What you do is you modulate immediately, the the, the at big scale, the 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 behavior of people, and and it's a one-to-one relationship. Another one, a, emotional, and it's is it's, it's 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 attached to, to the core of emotions. Uh, another, another interesting talisman is, is flags. So if you think the the U.S. flag. A, that that rag on a stick, what it represents, right, and the colors that it factually, right, and I'm just describing factually what it is, right? It's a stick and, and a piece of cloth with colors and stars and stripes. Mm, that's what it is factually. But just like money, people associate all these different emotions like patriotism and the US Army and and the founding fathers, and all these other things since they're kids. And, and then you remember when you were with grandpa, and you were celebrating 4th of July, and then you had a great time because you had the barbecue when you were 5, and, uh, and all these ideas that are buried in, in your mind, somewhere in your subconscious, are brought into, 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 into the surface of your, of your awareness, just by beholding that symbol And that's why people are so attached to the symbols And then you're bombarded with all these patriotic uh, announcements of uh, glory in war And all these things that are associated to, to the flag And then you end up mistaking your family and, and your friends and, and all the feelings that you have with this piece of cloth And you, just like when you see the, the symbol of of, of Starbucks all of a sudden you start salivating and craving for coffee. And you create it exactly, it's it's very simple. It's always the same model because we work in just one way.
1: Yeah, that's a good point because Chris and I were just talking the other day and uh, we were talking about how it probably won't even get rid of the Confederate flag because the Confederate flag has worked so well for such a long time to evoke people's emotions about racism, and um, on on either side, on both sides of, of it, you know, you could show somebody who would consider themselves, uh, you know, a KKK guy or whatever, or just somebody, maybe even someone who just believes in states' rights or something. And all of those emotions are attached to, like you said, a, a piece of cloth with colors and stars on it. And then you show it to somebody else, and you get the complete opposite of, a, of that, where as um, the flag is racist. Right. The piece of cloth is racist, right? <laughs> and, and, and on top of that, like, like you said, you, you associate it with the flags of, of your country, whether it be the U.S. flag or the Brazilian flag or the Colombian flag. It's, uh, it's, it's, the flag itself is patriotic. <laughs> right. Is <it? laughs> you know?
2: And, 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 and the funny mm-hmm. thing is, it's laughable once you understand it, but, but at the end, is, I, I would say something, right? And it's very sacred. And, and I'll tell you why I say this, right? Because I, I understand that it's, it's, a, it's a piece of cloth. But what is sacred is the emotions that people attach to it. So, so, in a way, what you're doing is you're, you're putting the most sacred, the most profound things that people have that are their family and their well-being and their safety and all these things and their youth and all their memories from, from high school and, and the allegiance to the flag with their friends and so on, right? The good old times. And, and you're taking all these very sacred – I don't have any other way to describe these holy emotions – that is the most intimate things that people have, and you're attaching them, you're binding them to the flag. So at the, no, at the moment it that is. you – yeah, go ahead. You're, you're,
1: you're, I was going to say you're absolutely right on because, you know, I was just telling Chris, too, over the 4th of July, you really see a lot of goodness in people come out, Right during during these patriotic holidays you'll actually see people start being nice to each other and start being acting in a very civilized family oriented way because like you're saying these the, the patriotism and the uh the emotions that are attached to the flag and to you know um, the history that people believe that they know um, and all those emotions start to spill out into society whereas if it were just any other day, and there were flags hanging all over everybody's houses, everybody would wouldn't probably wouldn't be that nice to each other.
2: <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, and this this is something that that I've been thinking lately, and and is, and it's probably the, the the first time that I that I made this this idea public, and I want to just test it through you guys and see what what you think about it. And what I've been thinking about is this idea that our culture we're people of the book. So so our Western society, right, is based on on the idea of that there is a book that codifies what the world is and at the beginning it was the word and the word was God. And so we're people of the book. And then if you see what is the symbol of Christianity right? In Christianity the symbol that, that binds uh, Christians is the figure of Christ but at a very special moment and is at the moment of the crucifixion, right? So it's, it's how he died and resurrected. And the symbol in many 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 Christians have is the cross. Now think about this and is why is sacrifice something that important and and the religions of the book have sacrifice at the center of the dogma uh, and think about it think think about what is what you are what you are sacrificing so in christianity christ another name for christ is the lamb of god so the idea and, and this comes from from the idea of it's this, this millenary the idea of sacrificing a john Animals, right? In, in you know, the, a white young lamb, to the god to appease the gods. But think about what is that this animal represents. What is a white lamb? What 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 is the representat- what, what is the meaning of a white lamb? Innocence. Innocence, purity. So what you are doing is you are desecrating. You are destroying innocence. So this is the center of the ritual. What you're doing is you're abusing innocence. Which is, describes perfectly what happens at the 4th of July. And, and and you have the perfect cycle there. Because what you were saying, you start seeing the goodness of people and how it's binded to this rag, right, to the flag. And then all of a sudden, what they do is they bring these foreigners with a different flag that is... Exactly the opposite of yours because it it represents the destruction of everything that is good for you. And then you can push people to go and kill the other people just because they have another color or another flag color or another religion or another creed or whatever. What you're doing with these systems is you are violating, you're desecrating innocence. And that's at the very center of the dogma. So, same thing. When, when you see this, the, the the image of Obama, what you were saying before, you see Obama on TV. You are not seeing Obama. You are seeing it's a, a bunch of pixels that move on a TV. But you cannot help it but to see a human being that is talking to you directly. So we can help it. That's innocence. Is is you're pure. You're you're using your your senses. And your system for what it was intended That is, you don't have Second motives and you don't have You're primal, you're just Your senses, you're taking at faith value What you're getting But if you manage To deceive people And use these things In order to benefit yourself Then what you're doing Is you're desecrating innocence And that's why I think That's the center of the dogma is the desecration of innocence.
3: Have you ever looked into the uh, talismans that Obama carries <laughs> around in his pocket?
2: No, I've never seen his pockets, so no what is it? <laughs> uh,
3: so he supposedly carries around uh, like a pocket full of like talismans. And uh, I, I I haven't looked into it that much, but I was just I was just curious whether or not you have and what what that what what's going on there, but yeah, Obama himself is a is a a talisman of sorts. It, it is this uh, we we talked about with uh, Jay Dyer and uh, and um um oh who's the other guy named John real quick uh per- Perkins uh. Pierce Redmond. Pierce Redmond. Yeah, I, I got his name confused with his screen name. Um, Pierce Redmond. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing about the you know Obama campaign and how it was, was really vacuous and it didn't really have any substance to it, and it, and and it's a way to um, to allow people to project their own thoughts and ideas and hopes and dreams and stuff upon this uh, blank slate, sort of. And then, uh, it, it, and how that, how all that works where, you know, they don't, they don't give you a whole lot to go off of. It's just kind of like, okay, here's this, uh, here's this persona and this image and they'll give you. And then, you know, this, he's a, you know, a person of color and then, uh, what all that implies just through that. And, and it's yeah, like you were saying earlier, it's really sort of it's really sort of simple, and it's and it's uh, on its uh, base level how how it operates. It's just these uh, um, really kind of simplistic type of conditioning that people go through, and then they and then they kind of take take o- take it over and take it into their own conscious minds, and then um, act upon this these uh, you know, these things that are. Put out there, whatever they happen to be—some uh, some persona or some uh, other type of a talisman or uh, pieces of paper or, or or whatever has had all these uh, associations built around it over time.
2: Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. But by the way, persona means mask in Greek, right? So it's, it's uh-huh. uh, that's it is just this this fiction in front of a uh, uh, a being right uh, now and and that's where personality comes it's just a mask right a facade that, that you're creating in front of of people mm, i think and and i think that the core of this and and the core the trick the base the central point of of how we can be fooled into believing and operating in this is that by default we have no we're raw right we get we get our our senses and, and our uh, what we what we intake say images sounds smells everything that comes through our senses and what we do is we create and, and we trigger internally emotions out of that and we never check the causal effect between those two things. And in our culture at the end, what we end up doing, and, and I think this is the largest or the biggest difference between the West and the East in terms of culture, is that the cultures of the West, the, for the people of the book, uh, the central point of culture is language. And the way you attain enlightenment is through language. Language. So that's our culture. We live in a culture that is dedicated to codify everything. And it's a culture we're obsessed on quantifying and codifying everything. And you compare this attitude with the Eastern attitude. It's exactly the opposite. The Eastern attitude is to quiet the mind. So they have all these techniques to do exactly the opposite of what we try to do in the West. In the West, what we're doing is we're building up this persona more and more and more every time. And in the West, they're trying to, in, in the East, they're trying to extinguish this persona, right? By quieting the mind, by, by, by muting uh, our linguistic filter in the, in the middle. Mm. And, and to me, that's a radical difference between the way you see the world and the way you act upon the world. Mm. Now the problem that we have, and when this is one of the, the the things or what what ends up happening, what is exploited by the magicians, is the fact that we confuse the world with the symbols that describe the world. So at the end, when you see a flag, you can help but get all these emotions about what the flag means. Or when you see the Starbucks coffee symbol, you can help but. To think about the coffee Or when you see the coffee You can't help but to c- Bring the word coffee Into your consciousness But So at the end You end up confusing the name That you're giving To the description of the world That you have right? That is all the senses Of the smell of the coffee brewing And all these things And then you are associating that With this symbol With this modulation of sound Namely coffee And then you cannot separate both So we're conflating both things. And I think 90% of the philosophical problems that we have in the world, that where do we come from, is there a God, Uh, what is the beginning of the world, Uh, uh, is this good, is this evil, we're confusing two things. We're confusing the description of the world that we have, the story that we tell to describe what we get through the senses, with the senses themselves. So many of these philosophical problems that westerners uh, and western philosophers are famous for for creating are problems that exist only in language they don't exist in reality Hmm. in reality reality is what it is right reality is not good or evil reality is not tall or short those are words to describe reality yeah that
1: kind of reminds me of a platonic dialogue of about art, about you know, when they're talking about what is a bed, are you familiar with that dialogue? No, go ahead. Okay, well, like a bed in exists in nature, but then mm-hmm. there's the bed that the carpenter makes, but then there's also the bed that a painter paints, mm-hmm. right? And each one of them represents a bed, but you technically couldn't say that the artist who paints a picture of a bed is technically a bed, but you technically could say that a bed that a carpenter makes is a bed even though a bed would be something like a bed of leaves
2: right <laughs> correct and and if you think about it if you go if you go to the to the east the answer is going to be there is no bed <laughs> the, the bed yeah the bed is a figment of your imagination is that a certain <laughs> arra- certain arrangement of leaves in nature you decided to name that a bed because and by the way, if you think about it, beds have legs, but you have legs. And you, you happen to call the legs of the table legs because they resemble your legs or the legs of an animal. But they have nothing to do. Just because there is this similarity, then you capture that. And we come back to the simplification of things through language, through modeling. But, yeah. but at, the, at the very end, there is no bed. It's just a, it's a figment of your mind. What what is is there are these things, shapes and colors and all these things that arrange in certain ways, and you happen to name those arrangements beds, but they're not there. And and the other thing that you do with language is you kill life, because uh, the way I like to see it is that the world is water, and what you do when when you name things is you create ice. So a bed, think factually, what what is a bed? A bed. There are no nouns in nature. A bed is only a long process where there were trees that were cut down by people who started stripping out things, and they got iron, and they created nails out of that iron, and then they brought everything together, and they put this temporal arrangement of wood and iron into this cloud that, that we recognize and call a bed, But if you leave that bed standing there for the next 2 million years and you could speed up the process, you will see that it's just a cloud that comes and goes. So just because of our very particular temporal and spatial perception of this, we happen to call that a bed, and we happen to ascribe properties to this bed, but all those things are just catalogs of words and symbols And at the end, what we're doing is we're mixing and we can help it We are because we operate and we live in this world of symbols by conditioning. But we cannot separate that from the reality, the real thing. So the coffee, again, we have the word of coffee, but the sensation of the warm water with this very particular taste that is the coffee, the one-to-one experience of the cup of coffee when you taste it in your mouth. That is Undescribable And that No matter How many words You put You will never Be able to Describe that Because it's Not the words
0: Yeah
2: I'm a It's
0: it's
1: Three o'clock So I'm going to Have to go Gentlemen But um, Carry on And I will uh, Listen to it It's been a pleasure Talking to you uh, Jose It's been a Uh, great
2: Pleasure talking to you As well
1: Yeah um, Chris uh, It's always a pleasure Talking to you Sir
3: You too Sir um, Thank you.
1: <laughs> I will, uh, I will uh, listen to this as soon as it's posted up. And, uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Hopefully uh, you can come on again uh, sometime soon in the future, and uh, I look forward to speaking with you again. Hey, I would love to. Thank you so much. All right. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Yeah, see you, John. Bye.
3: Yeah, the Hopi Indians, right, they have uh – They don't have, um, as far as I know, they don't have a written language. They have, you know, their uh, just uh, their their language that is not. uh, They haven't, uh, you know. Well, I mean, I'm talking about the you know traditional Hopi Indians that were here, uh, you know, uh, on on the on the continent. They. figured out you know through the anthropological studies you know that uh, they they don't have any kind of words or language for past tense or future tense there's only the present and that reminded me of that when you were talking about how you know like you know the bed it it doesn't exist it's it's just some sort of name you put on a particular piece of uh, a transitory um a uh, physical object and it is uh, a certain configuration that is you know ha- has that label on it and, and and it's interesting even you know these these abstract concepts that you know we I think in our culture we we kind of take these things we take a lot of stuff for granted that's sort of um already embedded into our culture and um we operate off of that Sort of automatically, without ever, you know, questioning like the legitimacy of, uh, of you know its its premises. And I, I, when I hear something about that, like the Hopi Indians and their language, it always it always it's always really interesting to me. It's like, how can that be? How can how can there be a people exist that have that don't really have those concepts? At least they don't have that they don't have words for them in their language, at least. And you know they'll they'll speak. Um, about a deceased loved one in the present tense they don't speak about him in the past tense and and uh and, and that's sort the of thing
2: but if you think about it how, what I think is sick right or what is, what is inconceivable to me is i remember a couple of years ago with all this pro life pro choice stupid debate when when you have on a television two people discussing when a fetus becomes a human being so they're having this very serious discussion on okay so when is that this fetus becomes a human being and if you think about it, is has nothing to do with the fetus and the human being and the whole thing it's a continuum, it's a, it's a fucking process that is happening and people decided to delineate, no it's at the 7 weeks and 3 days after conception or whatever it is right and but what they're doing is they're deciding about the the destruction or 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 to keep the life of this miraculous process that is the creation and conception of life, right? Which is a process, right. it's a cloud, we're clouds. But when you when you reduce it and when you quantify it to, to this point, when you when you're doing is you're codifying everything and you're obsessed with the op- codification of everything in reality you end up in these absurd extremes. That is, you're saying, should we kill this human being or should we uh-huh. not kill it, depending on the definition of what a human being is and what the code says and the law says. And it's absurd. It's absurd.
3: Right. It, it is absurd, but then on, on the other hand, it is, it is somewhat consistent with this conceptualization of what, it, what is law. Because... Oh. Uh- yeah the oh. law is something that is you know it's an abstraction it doesn't exist in reality it's something that's just you know referred to ceaselessly by people and they they really don't i mean it's something that I talk about a lot it's it, it is you know okay what is this thing called a law and and how is it um uh how does it actually work I mean what I mean as it's you know Conceived to, you know, as people, you know, they th- they think about this thing called a law. It's just this abstraction, and it. But people's particular beliefs about what what it actually is is totally out of sync with what is how it actually functions in society. What role it functions in society, and and when you get into a discussion of, um, you know, what is life, or when does you know does life begin at conception, or something like that. You know, I think the 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 um the you know by inference, you know, you get into a discussion, or they say, oh well, you know, we need to have like a public uh, a public debate or a public discussion, or we need to dialogue about this uh, that or the other thing. So, the, so the idea is, okay, what what, what are we going to do as a society as far as what the law is going to uh, label this, you know, fetus or whatever we want to call it and we want to label it because then that, that has some sort of mystical power to, uh, change the very nature of the thing you're talking about. And, and, and if, if anybody doubts what I'm saying is like, well, just look around you at what kind of behavior. Um, and I, and I point out law enforcement officers cause they're the ones out there that are, that you have to interface with. And I've had, you know, different, uh, Calls that I make and I upload them to my my uh, podcast. I just made a call today to some law enforcement people about the drills in Charleston and all that. And and you, you what's what's clear to me after I've I've spoken to you know different individuals along these lines is that um, when it comes down to uh, like a question of okay should you have tasered a guy for jaywalking. Right, is one of the calls I made. And <laughs> right. yeah, and, and and I think it's what's interesting about the call is that you you uh get this sense that okay, this, this particular individual, you just talk to a person, you know, but he's he's identified as a cop or a policeman or a police officer. But that's his that, persona, yeah. Right, that's his persona that's been artificially created for him to adopt and he is he was he you know he's obviously taken that position that okay I, I I have this position of authority, and that position of authority is what supersedes everything else to the to the extent of, okay, if we have to pull out our guns. And shoot this dude for uh, jaywalking to reinforce and to uh, solidify our authority. Then that's what we have to do. And if an innocent child gets shot in the process or anything like that, that's all just you know uh, incidental to the whole fact that I have authority and and I'm just and I'm asking him. Okay, can't you just let the guy go because you you haven't seen him do anything other than maybe walk outside the painted line and then but for him that was absolutely not the issue so so you know and that and that and that that is that is the mentality that uh predominates and i think it always has once that artificial authority was established and then okay why can't you define what life is at that point because you know we're certainly already there on a on a a philosophical level theoretical level in so many different respects, it's like, oh yeah, why not define life? Okay, yeah, four-year-old toddler. Once they start to walk, then they're they're a person. Prior to that, it's it's open season. You know, why, well, why, why not? You know, you could you you know we've already we've already established that law supersedes morality, obviously, because this this individual. I don't think he was a rare specimen. I think he he pretty much typified a lot of the mentality that that is prevalent in in, in this thing called government and, and and it was very clear and and I've, I've done other calls too where this is it's very clear that it's, what is important is this 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 concept of this authority that's been deemed it's been uh that he's been uh delegated to from the st- by by way of the state or this concept of the state
2: yeah I think I think this tendency or this mania that, that we have to qualify everything what you end up doing is you end up taking away stripping away humanity from from what you're coding and once you start coding other human beings and, and you start putting them into boxes, right? Literally and and and, and mental boxes and you start saying, "Oh, yeah, this guy is Christian. He's white. He's gay. Is this? He's Republican. He's Democrat. Is this? Is that?" What you end up doing is you you end up creating this cocoon of words that don't let you feel and see and sense the humanity on the other side. Right. So, so you create this mask on top of the person or or, or the, this human being, and then you see them and 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 for what they are, and then they have bumper stickers in their cars with their flags and what 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 the boxes that they their condition or they believe that they fall into. But all that this does is stops you from being able to sense the other human being on the other side. So so when the cop has the gun out and he's gonna shoot the person, I bet if he was having a picnic on Saturday and he's wearing shorts and, and, and and flip-flops and and then the next kid, kid, comes he's not going to shoot him but it's only because he's been possessed by this persona by this demon created by culture that at that point he loses his humanity and he dehumanizes everyone else and he's willing to shoot a kid for jaywalking uh, because the law says so, right? And right. An authority right. says so. Um, so, I think these things are incredibly destructive when they're abused and and they prevent people and and people try to look for answers to all these problems and 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 then they try to find what are the reasons for these things to happen and so on but I think what 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 is happening is that we have a moral compass inside that is incredibly powerful and 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 the society and culture works very hard in order to. For, to makes us forget that we have it and it's our heart. I think everybody has this gut feeling, right? Like if you see a, if you hear a baby crying immediately, just because of the same way that the coffee comes and more powerful than that, if you hear a baby crying immediately, you stop anything that you're doing and you look around to see what's going on. Wow. And, and, I think, but the problem is that the the real valuable things in life, or it's not valuable, invaluable things in life is the correct word, is the things that you cannot quantify, which are the most important things in life because they cannot be quantified. Our society and and uh, our people ignore them. So, compassion, there is no. Way to quantify and have a compassion index, right? Like where, where you're gonna start measuring what is the compassion of someone or, there are things that you cannot quantify. But those things are the things that makes us human. And when you live in societies that are obsessed with the codification and quantification of everything and, and rationalization and putting a number on everything, and saying how much is this and how much is that And when money becomes the center of everything Which is the ultimate Way of qualifying and, and quantifying Things What you're doing is you're forgetting Or you're ignoring The real things Things that really matter What makes us human What makes us human is not the fact that we can play chess And we have intelligence No, what makes us human is the fact That we are Sentient beings Capable of Having compassion and tenderness and love for other human beings—that's what should define us. And cultures work and exploit us to forget that and treat others like machines, because culture is the foundation of slavery.
3: Well, you can't legislate that either. You can't. Why, why not? Why don't we just pass a law that um, requires everybody to be compassionate individuals? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's exactly that's exactly what a koan is. So so it's futile. There are things what right. w- w- what is not rational cannot be reasoned. So what 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 is not quantifiable, but is only qualitative, cannot be quantified. So when you start trying to qualify it, you're you're trying to pull yourself eh, by pulling the your 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 street, your shoestrings. That's what you're doing. Is so so if you see in, 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 in the East what they have is cons which are these cleverly created phrases that by the very fact of giving them your they're self defeating to show you the futility of trying to solve those problems. And and is the way to transcend the problem is to realize that it's a made up problem. In the spectrum of symbols and language, but right. it's very hard to break it. And the other way to break it is to transcend language and the codification. And totally, you cannot pass a law that says you have to be compassionate. It's, it's, it's self-defeating. Right, right. Yeah, it's
3: interesting you say that you bring that up about the cons. It's it. What immediately was brought to my mind is a uh, the mathematical philo- uh, philosophers like a. Uh, uh, Bertrand Russell and and those people and how they would create these problems uh, and they're, they're sort of these you know um, and, and if you if you listen to the what they're trying to uh, convey in these uh, sort of thought experiments and how they were unsolvable. Uh, and then, thereby, it would invalidate their particular, you know, mathematical theorem or whatever. But it, it was uh, it, it, that's what it reminded me of that in this court, and it was, of cor- course, a, like an exercise in futility. It's like, well, you're you're invoking something that is, is it's not you're you're not dealing with something that's you're you're observing in nature. You're, you're kind of you're you're building this construct, and then you have to. Uh, tackle it with this uh with these set of tools that you have which are um i guess in their minds they were these the 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 particular set of tools they have they've uh assessed that they could undo any problem and then it turns out that they can't because there's these you know questions you run into that are unsolvable through these through this formula and uh you know that then they would proceed to construct another construct based on another premise that they had established based on a, another unsolvable problem, and went on from there. And it's like, what, 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 what is, what is that? I mean, what are, what are people trying to do with that? And that's that. I always thought that was interesting. I didn't see really the value in it uh, so much as to kind of establish that. Well, I mean, you can't really uh you can only get so far with uh you know the, the set of tools you've been given and, and, and instead of re- evaluating the assumption that they're based on they uh just reconfigure it and keep keep going forward and I think that's what that's what that's what our society and our culture is doing with this these concepts of law and uh how how they'll be applied and who who's gonna be um the ones in, in 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 power to decide this or not—is it going to be the the left wing of the re- spectrum or the right wing of the spectrum? And it's all it, it it's all really just to keep us in a constant state of uh, agitation and uh, um, and confusion to make us pliable, really.
2: Oh, uh, absolutely! <laughs> it's this obsession. That's why. We are the people of the book. Because what we're trying to do is codify everything. It's more what, what the idea in, 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 in Western religion is that God, right, is this, this idea of creation to me is, is is interesting, right? Like that there is a creator and that he 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 made the world by speaking about it and so on. It's an obsession with codes, with codifying. And but if you think about it, that's not reality. Reality is, reality is not talking about the coffee. Reality is drinking the damn coffee. That's reality. Right. And, and so when I hear about artificial intelligence, I can just laugh about it, right? Because right. Uh, it doesn't matter how good your artificial intelligence system is, you will never be able to create a system that enjoys a cup of coffee. No, that can taste the flavor of the coffee. That can see a sun uh, sunrise, right? And and get the uh, get emotions out of it. Because what makes us human is not that we can play chess again. It's that we have emotions. Or probably it's because I'm Latin. <laughs> that's but that's how I see the world, right?
3: Right, right. Yeah, that's um, something that's not. Yeah, you can't package it. You can't put it in a box. You can't quantify it. You can't really. Put any kind of cannot, real definitive. You labels. cannot write
2: formulas about it. There is no way to do that. And no. then you see this these Bertrand Russell, this psychopath. <laughs> his project in in the nineteen tens was he wrote a book with with uh, Whitehead called the Principia Mathematica,
0: mm-hmm. and yeah. what
2: he was trying to do with with, with Whitehead was to axiomatize all arithmetic or all, all math. So what he was trying to do is he was to trying to create system to codify any truth. So what he was trying to do basically was to reduce everything into a formula and to create an algorithm that could... You gave it a, 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 a theorem and then this algorithm, this mechanism could just by crunching numbers, come back and say, yes, this is truth or false. So what they were trying to do is systematize the deduction of, of, of the truth. And this, this, so this, this came tumbling down a couple of decades later by, by Kurt Gödel, who 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 proved that that's impossible to do, but mm-hmm. but what you can think is the hubris of of these guys, the mentality of someone like Bertrand Russell, who what he's trying to do is qualify the whole world. He's, he's that's a god complex basically? Yeah,
3: yeah, very just uh, yeah the the kind of the, yeah the hubris there and the arrogance is, is really it's really just um, just beyond. Beyond the pale, there about when you when you go into some of that stuff and what what was going on then with that and and it, it still re- it's, it's it still exists today in a different in different uh, format um, with uh, this philosophical science and all this stuff where you know it, they launch into things like the multiverse and all that and 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 I see that as kind of okay we're coming into a, a, a period of time now where it, 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 it has come to that where, okay, you have to invoke limitless numbers of universes where you know any kind of probabilistic or, or uh, thing that can happen within the material realm is, is possible and probably has happened. And it's like, well, you you can't rule anything out at that point. I don't, uh, and I think that's missed yeah. on a lot of people. <laughs> you know, it's, that's it's absurd. Yeah. Or, it's, or what
2: about what about the obsession that we have now to digitize everything? So so you see people going to the Niagara Falls, and the first thing that they do is they take their damn camera out, and they start taking, instead of leaving the moment, they start taking pictures so they can go home later on and put it on a stupid TV and watch when they were there and and have reminiscences of the time that they went to the (laughs) Niagara Falls, but they don't even remember when they were there because they were busy taking photos. Yeah, and you're... but the right. whole system of the NSA recording every single thing that you do, every action that you that you that you make, right? In order to create and, and basically what you're doing is you're qualifying, trying to qualify nature and trying to qualify every single action in life and create this virtual world of ones and zeros. But but the whole project is just like the Principia mathematica, it's absurd. It's like
3: <laughs> Yeah, it is. Uh, and then you can only you can only do so much with uh, trying to yeah ca- capture and it it and put in, into digital form you know any any given thing but uh yeah i think that 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 uh that is something that is um seems like a goal or or or, or a part of the plan to get uh, s- so much information into these systems that uh they can become uh well I think they say that they can become sentient, but, I, 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 yeah, I don't believe that. I, I don't believe that that's even remotely possible.
2: Well, no, is, if you think about it, the whole thing is a misconception because you have a fly, right? You see the size mm-hmm. of the brain of a fly, and, and, and you compare that with the computational power of the Internet, right, and the whole world capturing every single action of what happens in the world. Now, the whole network is not sentient. But the fly is. <laughs> so, and, and, and by the way, what, what you do, right, in order to be sentient, well, what, what you have to do is you have to reduce. You don't have to capture everything. You have to ignore. Uh, what we do with consciousness, right, when you, when you concentrate on something is you're ignoring everything else. So what these guys are doing is this gluttony system, right, is trying to capture everything. But is at the end, what they're trying to do is make up for the lack of awareness, by capturing information but information without a consciousness making sense of the of the information is only noise that's what it is
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. yeah it's not so, going so
3: to bring the good the... thing
2: about this project is that it's futile so I'm not concerned about it because it's, no. it's freaking futile <laughs> now no, I, we, uh, the problem is we have to pay for it
3: <laughs> oh yeah right yeah we're definitely and uh yeah, I wanted to go into something here. Um I sent you the link to that YouTube channel about uh about all the symbolism that's in Hollywood films. Cuz I wanted yes. to get your take on this uh that um so that that channel if anybody wants to look it up is uh 111 truth 111 on uh YouTube. Like if you put in 111 truth 111 put it into Google, it should bring it up uh, uh, on YouTube. So it's it's basically the guys, you know, he's, he's doing his analysis of uh, Hollywood films and pointing out all the uh, subliminal imagery that is uh, replete in film. It it is, it's like all over the place. It, 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 and you look into the, uh, every set, you know, is, is done with a purpose. You know, they don't, they, nothing inside of a, a movie set is there by chance, you know, so everything is, is, is all, is, is all very deliberate and there's no, mm-hmm. no way around that. And, you know, so you see this symbolism that keeps reappearing on a continual basis throughout all these kind of major Hollywood releases, you know, and, and, and I got to thinking about that and I, I think it, it, it fits in well with, like, our subject matter we're discussing here is um, those symbols and building association with these symbols. And, I, you know, I, I got to think about this, and I said, you know, in order to, to maintain this system and to reinforce those associations, it, it has to be done on, on, a, on a regular, continuous continuous basis. And I said, well, because it, one thing that struck me is like, yeah, they're going through a lot of trouble to make sure this symbolism is in these films. And uh, it, when I see something like that, it, it makes me wonder about okay, what is the practical purpose behind it? Because I I don't think they would they would go to that kind of links unless there's some sort of uh, utilitarian purpose for it, as far as its function in society and its 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 ability to uh, to control people or persuade, people or influence their behavior. And I think that fits well with um you know we we've already discussed how you know we could consciously recognize these symbolic associations with things and how they you know we we react and respond to them, but what about all the stuff that's you know taking place on a subconscious level that gotcha. we're we're not aware of on a conscious level
2: yeah you know i'm 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 skeptical about it i, I saw that he has one called I'm number four and so. The first thing that I would say Is that People Are fascinated By the occult So The fact that we're talking about I'm number four now Here Right Is We're disseminating These ideas in this movie Of I'm number four So So When When, when people are uh, when, when people see and, and we think We're special Because we talk about the occult Everybody does it Right Like Madonna sings about i'm a virgin and all these things and she has all these connotations right because first they're scandalous and that sells records and second because people are fascinated we live in a shallow society that lacks meaning right and is everything is appearances so so when people start finding these symbols they they attach themselves Because they they say, oh, there is an occult meaning here. And because I don't have a meaning in my life and there is something occult here, then probably I'm going to find what is the meaning of life and all this if I study these very hard. And that's probably the reason why I started studying myself, started studying all these things. is because of the same thing, right? Like looking at the occult meaning is because it attracts people. Now, uh, so that would be my first take on that. Uh, the second is that the real subliminal message on movies like this, right, is, if you see, it's product placement. It's like, so which is the brand of jeans that the, the chick, the hot chick in the movie is wearing, right? Because mm-hmm. then all other chicks are gonna wanna have that. What is the music that they're playing? And, and, and to me, it's, it's mostly commercial on, on, on these things. I, I don't, I don't give transcendence to everything. Mm-hmm. And, and some things definitely have it, right? And, and subliminal messages happen all over the place all the time. But I think people read too much on this. And I think the people who make these movies know that people read too much on this. And then they put these things there just like bait. So, so mm-hmm. people go and watch the movies and stop frame by frame and do this. Uh, so, so I'm very skeptical in, in, I'm, 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 I'm a total skeptic on everything. I don't believe in anything. So, to me the evidence has to be very 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 strong for me to start considering something so in this case there may be something i i i don't know what it is beyond what i what i just told you what do you think
3: well like a lot of the stuff that uh gets presented in and in, in, uh out there you know pointing the stuff out like well the okay here's the sun symbolism and it's uh you know, it's the, the characters, you know, stepping out of a plane and the sun is, is in the backdrop behind them and, and You can say, "Well, that's something significant," you know, and, and it's referring to sun sim- symbolism. And then, but you know, you can look at it just sort of, you know, So freaking sun, man. <laughs> say, "Oh no, maybe it's just yeah, maybe it's just <laughs> the sun <laughs> in the background," and they decided to just use it for dramatic effect in that particular scene. Because I imagine directors are always looking for ways how to make how do we make the scene look interesting, you know, and and shoot it and and and, and And give it some drama, you know, through lighting and all all kinds of stuff. So yeah, the sun is going to be in there, uh, obviously. But
2: you know, and so yeah, some of that I can I can readily
3: dismiss as you know just being kind of. You
2: see movies like, for example, Eyes White Shot from Kubrick. That movie, I, I think that movie has many layers of of interpretation behind it. So so it depends on the movie, right? Like Kubrick and his movies, you can tell that there is inner like there is exoteric and esoteric meanings in, 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 in his movies right and there are various uh uh, uh writers scriptwriters and, and directors movie directors who consciously I think put things like Icewell Shot is undeniable that there is there is a message that you kinda of get of what it is but you miss half of what is happening on the movie is and, 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 and there are few like that when you see, oh look, there is a triangle here. It's like, come on, the, the triangle is the most simple shape that you can see, right? Like, right. it's, <laughs> it's, it's the, the first surface that you can create in in 2D is three right. lines, and and then that becomes a pyramid for some reason, right? Uh, or or the sun is a stupid circle, right? So right, circles yeah. and triangles to me are the most common. Uh, like your primary, figures. yeah, your primary exactly, so.
3: geometry: your sh- circle, squares, and. Yeah, I it, it, but it, there there's that, you know, of course. And then on the other hand, it it is is you know, it's it's like you're talking about watching the movie with the sound off. And that's one thing that this guy does. He's showing the movie and he usually cuts the sound out and he's got his uh it, 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 he doesn't even really point the stuff out. Like once you know what you're looking for, it's like, right. oh, yeah, and yeah, there's a pyramid in the scene, but the way that the scene unfolds and the way the pyramid, it, 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 you know, it, it, the way, it, you know, where it's positioned in the scene and stuff like that, it seems very it, it, purposeful uh, on one level. And, um, so, okay, here's my thoughts on this. It's, it's that, you know, we've already went over, um, we've talked about how, you know, we, we're, we, we can, we could be made to build these, uh, um, draw these connections between, you know, symbols and, uh, like coffee or a symbol and, like, a um, you know, a particular corporation or whatever it happens to be by, you know, just this constant reinforcement. Um, over over a period of time, or Pavlov's dog and the bell, and it's like, the, well, eventually the dog just you know starts just drooling un, drooling uncontrollably when he hears the bell, and um, so that is pretty basic and simple, and I, and I think that uh, you know, and, and we already understand it to be you know a powerful you know tool of uh, you know manipulation, and you know, but. It, I, I, I do believe that you you could take these symbols and in their and and put them in a certain contexts, like in, in especially in a drama where you're through the through the actors and the and the playing out of this drama, you have like oh like the intimate moment between the the hero and the and the and the, and, the, and his love interest and and how you know it strikes these emotional chords, and at the same time you can have this subliminal imprinting of these uh, these you know, any given particular symbol that you want to put into the scene. And, uh, like an example of these shows, like, uh, there's this one film, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? He's a, com- he's a comedian guy and he's made like 600 movies. I bet. Adam, uh, Adam Sandler Adam right?
2: Sandler
3: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And uh, he, He's a master He is A stupid master Of modulation Of emotions Like he has comedies I, I personally Like his movies Because I love To see how He plays people Like a violin So he creates All these Very Funny, funny, funny movies, movies But then, and then, you're, then happy you're happy knows, And all the a so sudden He takes you, down, takes you down And it's, it's a, a roller coaster He knows How to modulate well. So well
3: yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's really good at it. Or I guess he wouldn't be in all those films, you know. He, he's got something going for him there, and even though you know he's, I think he's 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 uh, he gets a lot of criticism, but yeah, I'm getting the static back, Jose. I don't I don't just just now came back. Uh, <laughs> is there any? Uh, yeah, I opened I the video. Open the
0: video. That's probably something.
3: better now? Let's see. I think it's gone. Can uh, you? Okay. Okay. yeah, yeah. No no it's still there. It's uh, still there, still there. Let yeah. It's it's Shh sh- 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 Is that, better, Is that now? better now? Uh still there. Well now, now? Uh no it's still still doing it. So so In, you want me to call you handle again? Uh yeah, let's try that. Okay. 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 All right.
2: Hello, Chris.
3: Oh, bummer. Yeah, still doing it. Hmm.
2: I think it's people watch it's seven thirty here, so I think we're at the peak of of the usage of the (laughs) internet in New York City, man.
3: (laughs) All the New Yorkers are uh, watching uh binge watching netflix <laughs> yeah exactly uh yeah does that happen so i just bottleneck so oh, that makes sense yeah that that many people getting online at once and then uh it seems like no, no matter how much infrastructure they'd have it would <laughs> they can't keep keep on top of it
2: yeah uh, they're cheap on, on these buildings what they do is they they put one one line for the whole building right <laughs> And then yeah. he the hell out of the headline. So. <laughs> actually,
3: it seemed like it. Yeah, it stopped. Is it better now? Yeah, it's better now. Okay, good. Yeah. See. Uh, yeah. So, what, what were actually, we talking about?
2: You were talking about Adam Sandler.
3: Yeah, Adam Sandler and all his movies, and that that came a lot on uh, was on this featured on this channel. I was talking about where he's pointing out the symbolism. So so it's Adam Sandler and it's uh Drew Barrymore in the scene and then um they're having waffles and breakfast at this uh coffee house and they got the um the bring the waffles out and then She's doing something with the waffles and she builds a pyramid out of the waffles and then it's got the sun coming through the window and the sun's rising over the pyramid and stuff and then it's like what, what the hell is going on there? You know, like that's obviously very deliberate and, and it, it just, it just for all the world looked like it was just very, you know, um, I- intent on getting the symbolism across, right. and then you think that's... about it, at the same time, they got this romantic scene going on, and so yeah. and so it's like, on a, on a simple level, it's like, oh, you, that's a way to build positive associations between this particular symbol and the emotions that are being invoked there in that scene, yeah. you know?
2: I, I agree with you, but the problem with... with the, the nice thing about symbols, right, and their danger as well, is that When you put a word on something or a number, the meaning of the symbol is, is not close, but it's pretty damn small, right? It's very narrow. So there is no equivocation when, when you, when you have a symbol that is very confining. And what you do with, what you try to do with math and, and, and science, science, right? Is to create the most confining uh, ...language possible, description possible, so there is no equivocation. Now, I think Westerners, because we're conditioned to this, right, uh, to the idea that, that we want to be as precise as possible with language, have right. very big problems uh, looking at allegorical figures... And, and the nice thing about symbols, say, when you see, look at alchemical symbols or triangles or these things, is that the interpretation of these symbols is open-ended. So, so they're living creatures where you can encompass much more meaning because they can be interpreted and read in very different ways, which gives you space for a very rich interpretation, but at the same time, Uh, You're never certain of what is the interpretation of that In this case, I think in this movie that you're talking about uh, This movie happens in Hawaii, right? I think in the big island And which is full of volcanoes So I could say that the pyramid that you saw Is because this is a Hawaiian setting is a volcano So what they created is this romantic waffle volcano kind of thing, right? And you see what I mean? Right, 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 right Who knows? Who knows? Right. Exactly. So, so that's that's my problem with with symbols, right? Is that that they they give space for equivocation and and then different interpretations, which is a problem. But at the same time, is their power because they're open ended? So I'm very cautious to to come to these conclusions because I can't, and because I'm a, a, a devoted skeptic. Mm-hmm. I need too much evidence to say yes. There is something here, uh, which you can do with with eyes wide shut, right? Because the whole context of the movie is leading you to one place. So, so at that point, you have to start admitting yes, there is something beyond what you can see here.
3: Right, mm. right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: What is it? What is it? Yeah. You know, it is. Um, talk about product placement, and then uh, how you know that's something like most people are familiar with and then you know they they're you know there's there's open critique about that because it's sort of it's sort of this uh you know obviously sort of manipulative uh um tactic that's that's being used to try to get you to you know consume a a particular product um but you know. Like like me and John have talked this before multiple times. This is something that comes up commonly. It's like this, uh, you know, the concept of uh, well, or or what exactly is um, this thing called public relations, and how it relates to different things. Well, you know, it's fairly very closely associated with marketing, and um, and those uh, those sort of. uh, disciplines and stuff. How okay? How do you how do you persuade people to choose your product over all the different products that are out there? And um, and I and I and I and I don't believe there's really no such thing as real competition. And I think that, that there's conditions that are set up to lead people to believe that there's competition in order to put in play um, these marketing firms and public relations houses and stuff like that so that you know they could put them in competition and develop more and more persuasive techniques based on these uh you know certain you know, things that are known about psychology and 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 that's why we have you know or part of the reason why we have this consumerist culture and you could take those same disciplines and the same methodology and you could you could apply them to any kind of uh Concept or anything that you want to sell to people, or you want people to buy into, and I think like, uh, and I would say like an event like nine eleven was a big infomercial in in a sense, and I I think the whole thing was Hollywood style. I don't think that anyone actually died. I don't. I, I can't say for certainty, but I I, I I do believe that it it was uh, fake stage deaths, fake funerals, fake everything. The whole thing was a Hollywood style production. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence to kind of, uh, you know, back set up. But, but anyway, it's like, what, well, what, what exactly what well, it was? It was like a big infomercial on one, in one sense, in the, in the very much the same way that, you know, a new car or something like that would be sold to the public, introducing this. Okay. Here's a new concept and here's, here's how it works. And here's why everybody wants it. Well, mm-hmm. this, this is the 911 was the big infomercial for why everybody, Uh, okay, now we need to buy into this whole uh, new product of this uh, more intrusive and more involved government, you know, Uh, government, you know, the next phase of this thing called, you know, government or society or whatever whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it. So we're we're being, you know, at the Coptic New Year, September 11th of 2001, which is the exact beginning of the century according to the, you know, Egyptian Coptic calendar and all that, which I think maybe that's what they're – going by instead of the regular mm-hmm. uh, uh, the, the other calendar. It, it you know so that's like okay so that's the first event out of the gate is this is this um you know worldwide event that everybody saw and then mm-hmm. you know they they kept repeating and there's something that's since been repeated as all oh, since then nothing has been the same. Everything's changed. It's all different. Yeah,
2: I, I- I concur with you, ninety-nine percent on that, except that I think there were dead people there, and uh, starting because I knew someone who used to work there who died <laughs> that day. But but uh, and and you see, the, the, the same people who perpetrated this event are the ones who lead countries into wars and have no issue on on killing people by the millions so i think if anything i think it's a, it's, a, it's a sacrifice right it's a, ritual, a ritualistic sacrifice mm-hmm. where a couple of bodies here and there to your to your lord uh, even help so I, I i wouldn't be surprised if they kill people because they well they create weapons and they do all these things i i don't think there is an issue in killing people no
3: i i don't uh, other than the um sort of complications that would enter into the whole thing since you know it, it, there would have to be uh, a lot of questions being raised and then you have like all these victims family members that are asking all these questions about what happened and potentially creating problems i mean it seemed like it'd be any but see i mean on the one hand it's like well i mean absolute proof of that no i don't i don't have any it's just it's just circumstantial uh Evidence kind of points in that direction and different things um mm-hmm. e- even even with that I mean I can't say definitively oh i don't think it like not not one single person died i i, I don't know for a fact, but it seems like th- the way that it um, uh, um, when, when you add a lot of a lot of the pieces of the puzzle together it kind of leads leads me to that conclusion that it was more of a more of a hollywood style production than anything else oh I and, agree with
2: you uh, you' seen yeah
3: right, yeah yeah, and I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't take the position too that they the wouldn't hesitate to kill somebody to get some kind of agenda going I, I don't mm-hmm. I, but I think that's it's, it's in some ways in some ways it's just not uh, uh, right. uh practical you know but anyway
2: I, yeah my, my position is the same as with the movies is I know two things or three things first, I wasn't there, so I have no idea <laughs> I was in London at the time. So no idea because I wasn't The only way to know with certainty what happened Is to be there when it happened And I wasn't, so I have no idea Two, the original explanation Is so bogus that With certainty I know it's not true (laughs) Because it has too many holes Right So those are my two things I have no idea what happened right? But what they claim that happened Is not what happened (laughs) Yeah, but
3: you know, the point I was trying to make by bringing that up is that, um, it was a sales pitch of sorts. And I think Absolutely. it's, I think, yeah, people can get a better understanding of what's going on if they lo- kind of look at things through that uh, lens there where, you know, you're, you're being sold a product. And the product is, you know, this, or for, part of it is, you know, this, this new, boogeyman that's being sold this uh, al-qaeda isis or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. and uh yeah they're coming to get us they already hit us and then you know we you know you know the russians we don't have to worry about them anymore because you know we did that for 50 years that's over now it's time for this new uh era and they needed a big media event to to kick that off and then it had to be something visceral high profile dramatic over the top and um Basically, it was crafted and carried out just in the same way that um, a uh, a major motion picture would, and then you know, motion pictures are used to sell products, and then mm-hmm. um, there's some uh, examples of motion pictures that are uh, deliberate and very overt and very uh, um, direct. Um, uh, Uh, Military recruitment pieces like the the film Top Gun, and then it's kind of pretty much admitted so you know it's like all recruitment shot up, and you know it's like well, so they sold it's selling an idea, selling a selling a lifestyle, selling the military, selling whatever they can. It's very effective to do it through uh, through a motion picture, and then do it, and then uh, especially when you're when you're also selling it as a real event and then it, it is something that, oh, no longer is this something that, oh, we're just fantasizing about on this screen here. This is something that was real. People really died. People really are affected. Property was really destroyed. You know, uh, thousands and thousands of lives were directly affected. And it, it it is this, you know, this sort of pivotal event now in history. And then that's what we're always I, we're told I about
2: think, it. I think my, my – my my hypothesis, and it's only a hypothesis, but I think it's what, what makes more sense to me on what happened, is that basically the monetary system that we have is a pyramid scan, uh, schema that can run for a 100 years or so, and that's it. So we have a Ponzi scheme, right? This fractional reserve banking system. Like this idea that you have perpetual growth of 3% per year – Mm -hmm. You can run that system for 100 years, 110 years, that's it. Because at the end, what you're doing is exponential, is compound interest growth. And what you're doing is you're creating a system that at the end uh, runs to infinity and has to collapse. And it's very quantifiable, right? Like 3% compound interest per year. Uh, In 100 years, it goes asymptotical. Mm. So whoever created this Ponzi uh, scheme, right? knows exactly what is the duration of the system. So at some point what happens is that what, we're, what we are at the verge of, I think, is an, a monetary collapse where the, 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 the monetary system that we have, the blood of the system has leukemia and, and is dying, basically. And, and in order to maintain this monetary system, we have to expand it and expand it and expand it and expand it. And expand it. And at some point, what happens with any hyperinflation is that the thing collapses. So, as a state, if I'm the state, what I, what I see that what this creates, right, the, the threat is not the Chinese, the threat is not the Russians, the threat is not the Muslims, the threat are Americans who are gonna stop receiving a uh, social security and Medicaid checks. And people who, because we have created this interconnected society where we depend on the supply from China of goods and services and food is not produced by anyone anymore and anything what you're gonna have is starvation on the streets right and famine and people are gonna so what what I think that 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 marks the end of the monetary system is the collapse of the union here in the in America and mm-hmm. it sounds crazy, but I think that's that's what I think it is so if you, if you have this very mighty military power, right, and you have the control of society, the only thing that you want to do is preserve the state. And in order to do that, then the last thing you, you, you can try to do, right, is militarize society and being able to militarize the police and, and pass all these Patriot Act and all these draconian laws. So when the collapse comes and when you start having riots on the streets, you can try to c- control them through force. So to me, that event is the catalyzer to be able to militarize the society, to put a, a X-ray detectors on airports, to to start telling people, you see, we're doing this to defend you, but to start creating walls with with <laughs> in the front, in the borders, things like that. But to me, it's more that that's that's what I think happened but again it's just a hypothesis i have no idea because i wasn't there and i'm not part of the complot so i have no idea
3: yeah i i yeah i I agree with that it's something um some reason why there you know this this militarization of the police and all that i i but as far as economy goes i i probably differ with you on that and and as far as that uh i I think that the system as it is the only thing the, the only thing that's um Keeps it running is people's belief in the thing called money and whatever you know yeah whatever debt has been accrued through interest and all that stuff it's you know it's, it, it, it's just an abstraction that it's is some is some entry in a ledger book is all it is no I mean, no no you no, can, no absolutely
2: no but what yeah. you're doing is you're diluting the power of the talismans which means the belief on the system so as as you pre- print and print more money you you see what what is happening. in 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 Greece right is at the end when 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 money loses its buying power in Greece what what happens is that people lose their faith on the system. They start to realise, oh you know what this is only paper. They start to wake up from the spell of the talisman but in order to do that you have to abuse the talisman, right? Until you dilute the value of the talisman so much, the power that People start saying, oh, this is only paper. Oh, whoops, what happened? And I lost all my pension and I, I gave my life away for the promise that it's not going to be. And then when that happens and when that deception happens and when people come to the realization that they were robbed and they were slave enslaved, enslaved for, for the last 50 years and they worked, then they get pitches and forks and then they start decapitating people uh-huh. and, and, and breaking windows. And that's the collapse of the fate on the system. So the system is maintained civilized as long as the, as the, as the talismans are are taken at face value. But when people realize that this is a scam, then that's the moment when, when the whole thing collapses, right? And then, but I think it's part of it. It's called a revolution. And and think about the, the, the word revolution, right? Is to come back, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think it's part of the cycle of the scam. Is the revolution? Is the closing? Is the the the, the death of the phoenix? And out of the revolution starts a new cycle of inflation that lasts another hundred years or so, and then you end up with another. You you go back to the beginning in the revolution.
3: Yeah, and then that's you know that, that, that I would see that as something that that was done by design. as something that is. Uh, Part of a part of a, pur- a purposeful cycle. I mean, yeah, I, I personally think that uh, you know if 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 it was desirable to do so by people in control, they could they could reinstate the 1950s era prosperity with just some adjustments, you know, and then oh well, okay, we're going to do this, this, and that, and we're going to write this into law, and we're going to enforce it, and then we're going to be. Back to 1950s level prosperity, or even beyond if they wanted to do that. And, and it, you know, that would have nothing to do with uh, national debt or anything like that, because that's just a fictional construct. It's, it's not, it's, it doesn't have any bearing on tangible reality other than, you know, that, you know, people have a will and desire to work. I mean, we know that in, in the United States, especially. I mean, how much, what's the average work week now? It's like 50 hours a week or something crazy like that. And, and uh so yeah it's just, it's it's all based on a you know this belief system, and um i think it it could be you know switched on or off at 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 just you know a few you know adjustments here and there, and it could be completely transformed within a matter of just you know no time so that uh you know it could be it could go either way and if it, the bottom drops out of it, it was certainly done for um some, some specific purpose and to uh you know to to reorganize later and 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 to, to build something else but uh yeah I, I I don't know I mean we're always kind of told that that is something that is kind of just over the horizon you know we're you know we we're you know it's we're coming up on you know any day now we're gonna be hauled into FEMA camps and uh, you know there's gonna ah, be the big collapse and uh, the that, dollars that's gonna collapse fear
2: mongering <laughs> that's, that's yeah. Alex Jones no but you know what I what in I think the real the real issue right is that I I don't consider that I'm special in any way I'm just a poor schmuck with curiosity and I have lost. My faith on the system, and uh, as we were mentioning before, the system runs on faith, right? And and I used to be I used to be very faithful on the system. That's why I ended up probably working and living in this country, right? It's because I bought the dream, mm-hmm. uh, but I I woke up from it, or I, I'm I'm starting to realize that it was a scam. And and the, but the problem is that if I'm doing that and I'm a poor schmuck then I look around and I think that is that there is a lot of people like me who are going through that process. And I think that's the worst thing that you can have for the magician is when there is a kid sitting in the, in the first row of the thing and says, look, look, kids, he has a, a rabbit in his pocket. Look at the You can see the ears, right? Because <laughs> when you do that, the whole thing collapses, comes tumbling down.
3: Yeah. The spell is and broken
2: and then just... that's what we're doing here. What the re- the only reason why I, I, I do this is because I think this is the catalyzer for the spell to be broken. When people and I don't think what, what I say is any unreasonable, right? Like I think everything that I say is, is not cuckoo, is not out there, is is kind of obvious once you start to realize oh, yeah. how, how the thing works. It's so simple. Because, because that's the beauty of truth: is that truth is is self-evident and it's obvious. So you don't need too much propaganda, right? The guy has to dress in a tuxedo and move his hands and all this. All you need is a kid that points at the at the at the at the hole in the pocket, right? And say says the emperor has no clothes, for everybody to for the system to collapse. And I think that's what we're seeing: is that. Yeah, it does it.
3: I uh I I wonder too. I mean, because that's something that I think we've kind of always been kind of conditioned to expect like in order for there to be any kind of really drastic change there has to be this tremendous upheaval and calamity and uh anarchy or what have you uh Anarchy in the sense of what people n- normally associate with it, which is you know just it, d- d- gangs, right, r- right. gang rule, and uh, you know it's Mad true. Max reality and all that, <laughs> right. and, and and I just wonder, it's it's, it's uh, is that even and I, I don't see that as a necessity whatsoever to completely transform uh, the you know the society. At, at all. But I think maybe, uh, you know, it, on one hand, it seems like that that may be just sort of an in, inevitable part of the process. But on the other hand, I said, well, why? I don't see it as a necessity. It's, it's not in any way, shape or form a necessity. It's, it's uh, you know, there's already infrastructure in place and that can there's always so, so much that already exists that can be built on and and. And, and and turned around and used to the average person's benefit in, instead of what it's being used now to keep everybody sort of on this constant treadmill of uh, trying to keep up with the you know these arbitrary demands that are artificially placed on us through you know it, within the system and uh, but you know it it it, it, it takes some, you know, waking up to some very basic facts. Is that oh, you don't, you don't live in a world. I think this is a very important thing for everybody to understand. You don't live in a world of scarcity. This this earth is not a is not uh, is not typified by scarcity.
2: Totally. At absolutely. all.
3: No, it's it's just absolutely not. I mean. You, so, you know, maybe somebody could point to, oh, well, we're overfishing the oceans, and we're depleting the forest, and we're doing all this and that. And, you know, we're raping the environment and all that. And it's it's like, yeah, there's a lot of truth to that observation. Hmm? But then, on the other hand, it's like, well, what's what are some things that would be done different where, you know, that that wouldn't be the case? and, and I it's agree like, with you. You
2: Yeah. We're creating exactly. artificial scarcity. And, by the way, the destruction of the environment is a monetary phenomenon. Right? Like, this idea that you have to grow to infinity to maintain the system running is what is killing the planet, right? And the overfishing and the overpopulation and, and the overconsumption and all this is what maintains the system growing at 3% per year, right? So, but, but it's, it's because the cause of that is monetary. It's because of fiat money that we have all those problems. As soon as you remove that, well, People realize, you know, what I don't have to grow every month in order to be healthy. But that makes no right. sense. Yeah, it's uh,
3: it's evident in the amount of waste that gets generated in our in our system. Yeah. It, it, it's it's incredible. Um, uh, I go occasionally and go dumpster dive, get stuff out of the dumpster and stuff to re, you know, to use it, and it's pretty amazing what what you'll find in there. But yeah, one thing I, I became aware of when I, I was doing that is it's well, it's a, grocery stores they throw away like upwards of 50% of the food that enters into the store goes out the back door into the dumpster. And <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 an incredible uh situation where you know, you got people working 40, 50, 60 hours a week and then we're living in a system that generates all this prosperity and this food and we take it out the back door and throw it in the dumpster. And we keep on working these long shifts and these long hours, and it's like, I've asked people about this, too. It's, it I think it's inter- it's it's fun to do this sometimes. Like, you get in these conversations with people, like maybe strangers on a train or something like that, and then, uh, you know, I'll bring up something like, well, yeah, you know, they throw half the food away, and, you know, it's like, why do, why, why do we all work 40-hour, 50-hour work weeks, and we're throwing half the food in the trash? Does that... <laughs> And and I think that just creates this immediate, immediate kind of co- this this cognitive dissonant effect where you just get this, you know, deer in the headlights look here or whatever, and then you know it, 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 it's that you know we're 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 not aware, generally speaking, people have no awareness of what's going on around them. Even all they have to do is get out and walk down the alley and look. Behind the grocery store in the dumpster, like, ah, what's all this food? What's going on here? And and ask themselves those questions. It's, does, does this make any sense? And uh, you know, they did that during the Great Depression. They had the they would overproduce, and they would make these big giant mountains of. They call them potato mountains or uh, 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 turnip mountains, or and they would pile up all this produce. And dump kerosene on it to make it un- unedible and destroy it, and then dump a lot of stuff out in the ocean, because to maintain that scarcity, and uh, and that's something that's a, an, an admitted part of history. And it's like, well, if somebody asks, just ask themselves why, and then you'll see. Oh, well, I'm in a system of control. That's what it's all about. It's 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 the opposite of what everything I've been told. But that that's not something that's hidden. Like no, no, stuff is hidden. No, the, you know, the waste is generated no, it's not, stuff. that's not.
2: It's not hidden. No, you know what it is. What it is? Like, I think it is, it's part of the sacredness. What we're talking about the flag, is that it is so painful. The day you realize, dude, uh, dude I, dude, I've been deceived for the last forty years of my life, right? It's uh-huh. very painful. I think it comes with pain when you realize that you you were you were groomed to love and and this parasitic system that the, so so you you have this this love relationship with the with the parasite. The day you realize that it's a parasite, it, it's incredibly painful. And most people would rather die before they accept that, right? Because all uh, the reality yeah. tumbles down.
3: Yeah, I think that's uh, a big part of the problem is just this reluctance to deal with uh, truth that is easily provable stuff. I mean, we, you know, we can get in the realms of conspiracy and kind of uh, speculation about, you know, maybe nine eleven or something like that, and then you know, go on and on about it. It's like, but you know, I, I I like I like to do that, but I also like to point out stuff that's like right in front of our faces that. You know, we just take for granted, okay, that's the way it is, but, you know, it's like, we ever ask why, why it, why it's the way it is, and you ever get a good answer? Yeah. So no, I say, I never, no, I never
2: thought about what you just said, about oh, the supermarkets is brilliant, because it's so obvious. It's, it's, and that's yeah. true, That that's the beauty, So so self-evident that there is no argument against it.
3: Yeah, I mean, we have the conditions that existed in the 1930s Great Depression. You know, we have bread lines, only it's in the form of food stamps, and you know, people go get their government handout through through the the food stamp program. And uh, you know, uh, uh, at the same time, this is going on. You got all these unemployed, and then you got all all, all the people that are employed by government, which uh, for the most part, they don't do anything. They don't generate anything, and right. they don't create anything. They don't build anything, generally speaking. Well, no, they, they
2: they generate friction. That's what they right. <laughs> generate.
3: <laughs> right. So the people that are actually productive in the society is like a it's, it's not even the majority at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And they they are producing, you know, the, the farmers that do exist and the and the producers that do exist are producing all the goods and the services stuff for the for the rest of the non-productive which is a pr- pretty hefty uh percentage of the population when you take uh well, I mean take the military, what do they produce? They don't produce crap. What about all the um supporting infrastructure around the military that employs you know hundreds of people what about the drug enforcement agency what what do they do they 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 destroy lives and create like you said friction you know they take put people that could be working and helping their families and they put them in prisons to warehouse and then that that that's an expenditure right there so okay. uh yeah you just you just look at all of this and it's like well it, it, it all operates off this thing called money and and you have all these conditions that absolutely cannot exist except for the very fact that we have this thing called money. Yeah, and that's most of the economy. That's that's most of the economy is just stuffed down rat hole, stuffed into a rat hole. It just doesn't have any kind of function no benefit to anybody whatsoever. It's uh, whatever it, what it ends up to at the end of the day is make work. And, think uh,
2: about yeah. how how sad it is that the wealth of the economy is measured on what is Black Tuesday or Black Friday, whatever you call, to see how many presents people are going to buy for Christmas, and that <laughs> shows you how good the economy is doing. It's like so pathetic.
3: No, it is really is it it it, it is, uh, f- just just buying and consuming for the sake of buying and consuming for the most part, uh. And, and then um, there's all these arbitrary uh, standards that are put out there. About what, what constitutes wealth and what doesn't, and 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 it's all just it's just based on nonsense. And 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 you know, so what I was talking about the, about the infrastructure already been in place. I mean, we have we're sitting on top of the most powerful engine of prosperity ever devised in history, which I believe, and. The average person that puts their sweat and blood and tears into it only reaps the benefit of a small fraction of its produce. The rest of Absolutely. it is, yeah. The rest of it goes goes
2: yeah. to the hands of a few. Yeah,
3: yeah. Sucked into a black hole, and what the what the ultra wealthy elite at the top can't possibly use in fifteen hundred lifetimes. That gets the re, the rest of it gets completely, uh, uh yeah, just just. Just totally, um, um, p- people running in circles. Basically, it's just people running in yeah. circles, and there's no um, no real no produce out of that. So, if you, if you were to just you know I've talked about this before. Okay, if you were to just take all the military paychecks and you disband the military because it's, it's it's unnecessary, you, you, you just you know tell. Tell people the boogeyman doesn't exist, and he goes away. because He only lives mm-hmm. in our mind. And then you you know you distribute those paychecks between the rest of the population, including you know, and have and 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 and, and divide up uh, and put it towards something productive, and then divide up those tasks among the, the people uh, that that can actually perform some function in society. You know, so it'd be real easy, but that's not going to be done. You know.
2: Right. as long as you have all these people brainwashed right and believing that the only way to live is by with the protection of the state right and and what, what i think that the the worst part of this system is that it creates generations and generations of handicapped people who were trained and constrained since broken since inception right so, so they will never, and we will never, uh, reach our full potential, because we were, our imaginations were destroyed when we were kids. Our self-confidence, our self-reliance, our autonomy, was destroyed by the system, and and those things, right? In, is, we're just lost generations. That's what we are, and, and I think that's the saddest part, right? Is that imagine, what the world could be if everybody. Had a chance to reach their full potential and not sabotage people intentionally, so they don't reach that that potential. I think that's the saddest part of it.
3: Right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's tragic, and it's uh, it, it it is when you when you look at it from a certain perspective, it, it's it's really uh, sort of disparaging. And then, but then you can look at some other things on the other hand, and it's really encouraging that it's like ah, things don't have to be this way and why you know it, it they really don't and um and you know it, it there's this kind of tendency i think for people to put everything inside of an either or category it's like oh either we we have what we have now or we have absolute chaos and uh it's like well Okay, so you don't you know, see any kind of middle ground or any kind of incremental steps toward anything. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like an either-or thing. It's like, well, you know, you either you know believe and accept uh, this concept of law and the government and everything as it is mm-hmm. now, as it stands now, or you're, or you believe in uh, burning buildings and chaos and. Uh,
2: right. Well, the, that's because I think the primordial force of black magicians is fear, so that's the it's one of the primal. Uh, and, and most easiest uh, emotions to control is fear and to 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 create right right so so the whole system is is founded in fear uh, yeah
3: fear of the unknown mainly it's like something yeah. you don't know I mean, of, you get, of the
2: boogeyman yeah
3: yeah you could easily be made afraid of something that you're that's unfamiliar to you and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's how how this all operates and what it, what it runs off of. So you like you're talking about uh, earlier with John about uh you were in Brazil. Mhm. And the people there I had used a to.
2: yeah, uh-huh. yeah I, I used to be there, yeah.
3: Like the people there had a completely different disposition in general then
2: well I, I realized you know the 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 funniest thing and, and and it was very tangible i I lived here for eighteen years before I moved to to brazil and i I was there for two years and I came back and and the first thing that I got the first time that I went to Brazil and the first time that i that i uh, at the airport what I realized is like oh my god, what defines America is fear the reason why we have a hundred or a thousand uh, military bases around the world and all these military mighty is because of fear people oh. are fearful people are scared of everything is kids have to wear a helmet to ride a tricycle <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. You cannot send kids to, to buy milk across the street because of the pedophiles that apparently are everyone else in society, right? right? I remember when I was a kid, I used to ride a bike on the street and nobody cared. Today, uh, kids cannot be alone on the street. You you have to wear a seatbelt everywhere. People are afraid to leave. And and it's, it's this fear that is injected to you every day on TV and it's like, like the... The mass killings and, and the pedophiles and, and the rapists and, and the Russians and, (laughs) and -hmm. the Muslims and everybody else, right? And he's, so the defining force in America is fear. And, and when you go to other places like Brazil, right, like they have other defining forces, but fear is not as, as, as potent as, as it is here. It's like, people are are horrified here and and that defines what what people do and how people live right and and that was like when I, when I, that was one of the most gratifying refreshing things that i had when when i went there was that to, to it's like when you have the ac and and you have this background noise all the time and you mm-hmm. get used to it but the re, the 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 release that you have when you shut it out Mm-hmm. And and you realize, oh, like that 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 sensation of oh my god, how uh, how can I live with that background noise all the time? It, it was just like that—the the sensation that I had that time—and and it was very palpable. I still remember, like oh my god, it's fear, fear is everywhere. They're trying to scare us all the time.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I see that. It, it is uh, just really. Pervasive now in this culture, and it seems to be kind of increasing. And it and it's all through fiction. It's all through fiction. It's all through fairy tales and stories, scary stories. And it, interesting, interestingly enough, people like scary movies and stuff, which is I I, I don't really understand that, but uh, I I know it's a I know it's a fact people. Uh, 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 on one yeah. level,
2: want to be scared because I think we're addicted to it in a, in a, in a, in a strange yeah. way. I, but see, I think on, on the one hand,
3: it's artificially induced to you know the, the, the consumer market for those some of those films, those horrible. Uh, slasher films and stuff like that, or those horror movies, and stuff like that. I, I, I think that's that's a uh, the demand for that is is reflective of a uh, a sick society, really. Um, you know, uh, but then you know, I, I, th- I think it, to some degree there is something in, in, in inherent within the people that kind of makes them want to look at those uh, you know the darker side or those you know to to be afraid or to be um, well,
2: you know, the the other thing is that, that Chris, we live now in, in confining apartments and we go to this very routine every day and you go to work every day and, and it's the same thing and you come home and you pay your bills and you watch TV. At some point, you're like, I hope Freddy Krueger shows up in my house and we have some fun or something changes. <laughs> like, so he's, yeah, to break up the monotony, Freddy Krueger. Exactly.
3: Cut some stuff up. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of this uh, reaction to the just monotony and the dullness of every everyday life, where it's just kind of yeah, that's all there is is work, and then coming home and getting ready for work, and then you get up and go for go to work the next day. That's what I did for years and years. That's so the fun. only
2: escape is the thrill.
3: Yeah, it's, yeah, the thrill and the, the uh, o- yeah, watch somebody get their head cut off on TV or something, and then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mr.
2: Chris, you know what it what time is it here? It's 8:21. We've been talking for 4 hours, man.
3: Oh, we've been going for 4 hours? Wow. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah.
2: It's crazy.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I had no idea. Uh, uh yeah. Well, cool man. Yeah, I just did that with
2: uh with Jay. You ever talked to Jay Dyer? Uh, no, I never did.
3: Yeah, maybe maybe you guys should uh get in contact cuz uh yeah, I I think y'all would uh, have a really good conversation um, between you two, from what I gather. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome. Yeah, so, yeah, this has been really good. I enjoyed it. and uh, You I, guys uh,
2: are really nice. I, I, I had a blast.
3: That's good. You know, we try to keep a totally relaxed atmosphere, and, you know, we're not running up to commercial breaks every 10 minutes, and we're not... Uh, yeah, it's just all it's all for just the joy of talking about this stuff talking about real stuff you know
2: mm-hmm. it was it, it was a real pleasure man
3: oh yeah same here I, I I concur with that and yeah I appreciate it and you got you got anything you want to put out there to you know you, I, you got a youtube channel like anything else like you want to
2: yeah, basically, if, if, if people look for Jose, Barreta, uh, and, and they put magic or alchemy, then they, they're going to find me there.
3: All right, great. Yeah, okay. do, you, do you have any more interviews coming up?
2: Uh, uh, not really.
3: No more Jan y- Irving appearances? or
2: Not anything? lately, not lately. Uh, he's been talking uh, uh, lately... Uh, about a lot of things that I don't know if I would go to that extreme in my analysis. Uh, but it's interesting. I like the guy. We're good friends.
3: Yeah, he's, he's a really interesting guy. He's got some really interesting information. And yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I recommend people checking out that uh, interview. Uh, just look up Jan Irving, Jose Barrera, and then should 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 pull that up. Presumably. Yeah we had
2: two two interviews, one on, on alchemy and one on black magic, which is pretty much what we the 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 second one is is what we discussed today. We didn't talk about incorporations and, and the creation of demons, but we can do that in another time.
3: Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Um yeah we'll, we'll be in touch on the email and stuff and then uh we could maybe set up another call soon. That'd be
2: Anytime Chris. I I really yeah. I really like it. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, man. Okay. You have a good one. You too, man. Take care. Thanks. Okay, take care. Bye.